Hi, listeners. Today, we once again bring you something special. Our 2022 debates held last night with the candidates running for Grand County Commission and State House District 69. This event was put together by KZMU with support from the Southeast Utah League of Women Voters. It broadcast live on Monday from the Moab Arts and Recreation Center. Thank you to everyone who showed up or tuned in. We had a record-breaking amount of listeners on our website, which did crash our stream a few times. That was pretty amazing. We were just blown away by the listenership. To any streaming listeners, thank you for your patience. And I do want to give a special thanks to the locals who quickly found their way to an FM radio so folks from afar could still tune in online. I even heard a story of a bunch of roommates jumping into their cars to continue listening to the debates. Thank you for that. So here's the recording of last night's event. You can listen at your leisure. The timestamps are as follows. Grand County District 5 with candidates Steve Getz and Mike McCurdy begins about three minutes in. District 4 with candidates Lori McFarland and Mary McGann begins 32 minutes in. The at-large race with candidates Emily Campbell and Bill Winfield begins one hour and six minutes in. And finally, the House District 69 race with Phil Lyman and Davina Smith begins about an hour and 52 minutes in. Thanks for listening. So we're going to start off with a few words with the Southeast Utah League of Women Voters. Carrie Dabney, come on up. Thank you, Molly, and thank you, KZMU, for all your hard work in putting this on. It's the second of two forums, and people have worked very, very hard. Um, So I I want to thank them for that. The League of Women Voters of Southeast Utah is a newly restructured local league with a focus on Grand and surrounding counties. So we've expanded um, our our area of interest um, because it's real obvious that politics is no longer just local. It's statewide and it's national. So we're... uh, we're, we're trying to address that. We provide nonpartisan assist, assistance with voter registration, community engagement, civic education, candidate forms, and town halls. On the back um, of the room, there's a table that you'll find voter information, including sample ballots, um, key dates to remember, and some district maps because we have redistricted. So if you're in District 4 or 5, um, there's some maps back there. The postcard on your chair um, has a website for Vote 411, and that's the league's national website, but it's in um, every single state. And you can check there to see if you're registered. Um, You can check there to... um, register to vote, and also to find information on the candidates that are going to appear on the ballots on November 8th. The league sends out questions, and most of the folks have responded, and so you can go there and and read about the different candidates at the local and state level. Um, On behalf of the League of Women Voters of Southeast Utah, I'd also like to thank the candidates running for the three commission positions in Grand County and those candidates running for the Utah State House of Representatives in District 69, along with the audience here at the mark and the audience watching and listening virtually. Democracy is not a spectator sport. It takes all of us working together to make democracy work. So I want to thank everyone who's worked hard to put this together and those of you that have attended and those of you that are listening. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you, Carrie. Um, Listeners, we are starting off with candidates running for county commission in District 5. That's Steve Getz and Mike McCurdy. District 5 encompasses Spanish Valley west of Pack Creek. 
there's um, a much better description than I can provide of District 5, and that is on a map. Um, so you can t check your address at grandcountyutah.net. Steve and Mike, thank you both for being here. Uh, we're going to start off with introductions. Candidates, you have one minute to introduce yourselves in any way you'd like. We'll start alphabetically by last name. So candidate Gets, you are up first. Thanks for having us. Um, this is one of candidates favorite things. Can we agree on that? <laughs> so anyway, I'm Steve Getz running for commissioner. The reason I'm here today is because of water. When I read those reports a couple years ago, I just felt like I had to step up. My water education began at the dinner table when my grandpa and my dad talked about water science. My grandfather had gotten involved early when in the 1930s, he and the other ranchers realized their wells were changing. So they worked with the USGS to set up a well monitoring program. So as kids sat around the table and we learned the language of water. That's all I got, sorry. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Thank you, Steve, if that's it, that's fine. Um, Mike. Hello this evening, my name is Mike McCurdy. I was born and raised in Grand County along with my wife, Ronnie McCurdy, and our five children. Growing up and raising our children has been our life's focus, as we call this our home. I am running for County Commission District 5, like stated. I want to address uh, the concerns of our citizens and shift our political focus to basic shelter needs, realistic water use, and bringing sustainable economy uh, together with accessible government. Our community needs helpful and clear policies to sustainably prosper. That's it. Thank you both candidates. Um, we're going to move on to questions. Um, our questions tonight have been sourced from our nonprofit partners and the community. Uh, candidates will have two minutes to respond to each question. Our amazing timekeepers, Alice and Jean, thank you so much. They will be holding up cards when candidates have 30 seconds and 10 seconds remaining. Finally, when candidates have reached their time, um, our timekeepers will ring a bell. There you go, thank you. At that point, candidates can finish their sentence but shouldn't start a new one. Um, each candidate will have the opportunity for a 30-second rebuttal if they ask for one, and uh, the moderator, that's me, might pose a follow-up. In that case, candidates will have one minute to provide an answer to the follow-up. Um, we will ask our small live audience to keep a respectful silence after each candidate speaks, reserving um, applause until the end of the event. As a reminder, we are here to participate in an important exercise in democracy, and we do aim to treat everyone in this space with fairness and equity. And also, candidates, if you need me to repeat any question, please tell me. Um, candidates will answer questions in rotating order. This question goes to Mike first. It's about water. The Grand County Commission is not a water service provider, but the county's elected officials can play a role in our water resources. New growth in the valley will be happening in Grand County. If elected, you could be helping create a water source protection plan, organizing new monitoring wells, making land use planning decisions based on new water studies. What is your strategy when it comes to water and Grand County? If elected, what water-wise planning initiatives would you like to move forward? Thank you for that question. Both the infrastructure 
and water are controlled and operated by Grand County Water and Sewer. Uh, Grand County Water, uh, Grand Water and Sewer Service District uh, is, is the board. The county has considerable control of water through what they allow uh, to be built, where to be built, and what to be built. There has to be a huge collaboration between both county commission and Grand Water and Sewer uh, going forward. There has to be work between us uh, because they are the facts, they are the amount of water that we have. I would work diligently to assure that the system continues to work in that collaboration and I would assure that we can still do what works for Grand County uh, together. That's my stance on water. Okay, thank you, Mike. Steve, same question. So the first thing we have to do is realize that this entire valley is in one water system. And it really doesn't make any sense to have, what, five or six different entities trying to make a water management plan. We need one group that creates a water management plan for the entire valley. And in the, in the management group, they should not only deal with the delivery of water, but things like a unified conservation plan for the entire valley. And also, you know, it'd be nice if we had a flood control plan for the entire valley. So that would be the first step. The second step is with our aquifers, they're like bank accounts. And we're all withdrawing from them now, but nobody's monitoring the balance. There's a little bit of action started in Grand County but I think that that's the most important first step that we can get is start a monitoring program and a database to keep track of that. So as our balance changes, we can figure out where we're at in those aquifers. Okay. Mike, do you want to have 30 seconds to add anything else? I feel that the studies have been done and we need to put these plans into action. The USGS is one of our leading studies that have, are one of the groups that have done the studies for us already. We need to put these plans into action. We can't further hope for more studies to do it later. Uh, a sense of poignance. Thank you, Steve, 30 seconds. So with um, the monitoring plan, um, you need to keep track of not only your aquifers, but I would push to monitor our springs around the valley because those are like the canaries in the mine. If the springs start changing, that's gonna give you indications of what's going on with our, sh our aquifers also. So we need to make sure we got a good uh, historical record on where they're at now so we can see changes if it happens in the future. Okay, thanks to you both. Um, this next question, this goes to Steve first. It's about the budget. One of the primary responsibilities of the county commission is to pass a balanced budget. It's also where our local government lays out their priorities. What are your priorities with the county budget and where we spend our money? And if there are any line items in any of the county's recent budgets that you would have changed, uh, please tell us how you would balance the budget after making those changes. So balance the budget in two minutes. That's an interesting <laughs> proposal. 
So I have a couple thoughts. There's been a lot of grumbling lately about the cash reserve that the county's carrying. But this is only smart. Smart businesses realize you have to have cash to carry you through the winter. And if next year isn't quite as good as has been in the past, then we need cash to carry us through that too. So I agree with what they're doing on the cash. I do have an area of concern with staffing. In my business, payroll was a big deal. It was our biggest single variable expense. And so as we looked at possibly adding staff or starting a new program, we wanted to make sure that that program or that staff member would add enough value to pay them. And so I think I would do like I did in the business. I'd look at five-year averages, see if anything is bumping up, and take a closer look at that area. As far as balancing the budget, I believe the county's required to have a balanced budget. So um, take it away. <laughs> okay, Mike, same question. Let me know if you need me to repeat anything. Will you repeat one more time? Sure. Um, what are your priorities with the county budget and where we spend our money? If there are any line items in the county's recent budgets that you would have changed, please tell us how you would balance the budget after making those changes. Just so everyone knows, setting a budget doesn't save anyone money. I would like to say that as citizens, we need to be able to account for our county's expenditures in a manner that is easily accessible to our citizens. I'm taxed, you're taxed, our visitors are taxed. I would like to say I know how to fix and balance the budget right now, but I don't. For every possible way to see that uh, more dollars are kept with our citizens and in our pockets is the way we need to look. And that's, that's what I want. Okay. Thank you, Mike. Um, Steve, do you want to take 30 seconds? I think we're good. Okay. All right. Let's move on. Um, this next question is related to um, housing, of course. Um, Grand County has made progress on workforce and affordable housing. Mike, this question is going to you first. However, um, throughout the campaign season, we have heard candidates say there are still barriers to creating housing options for locals in the county. Do you see any of these barriers? What are the solutions you would work on if elected? I actually see too many barriers. Local policies are both cons uh, time consuming and expensive before construction can even start. I would like to streamline the process by lowering costs where able and ex ex expediting the approval process to follow the builders and owners ongoing costs. I know these areas that I, will be, that I will be able to work well with due to personally being, being heavily affected by the housing. I was speaking with, with a current commissioner already on this subject, and it was said, would you want all 300 homes that are in the foreseeable pipeline to be on the market at once? And it didn't take much thought. It only took a couple minutes for me to decide, yes, yes, I want those 300 homes. I want them now. It would lower the price tag on current real estate in Moab, make it more attainable 
for our citizens. I want the ability to get the people that have a need currently into homes in a timely manner. We're doing things slowly, and I would like to look at doing them a little more expedited to get people into homes. Okay, um, thank you, Mike. Steve, same question. Would you repeat it, please? Sure. Um, Grand County has made progress on workforce and affordable housing, um, but throughout the campaign season, we have heard candidates say there are still barriers to creating housing options for locals in the county. Do you see any of these barriers, and what are the solutions you would work on if elected? So one area I've seen in the last few months, watching the new regulations being written and the new land use codes being written, is that it seems like if you want affordable housing, that should be your goal. And you shouldn't be adding on things that are kind of trendy ideas, like sun orientation and uh, even um, uh, have to have solar requirements. Because these add costs. They add costs at the permitting level when the builder comes in with the plot and you have to go through additional details. Are all the houses pointed the right way? Do all the houses have wiring for solar? Especially with manufactured type housing. If you order a tiny house to be delivered, you have to specify what type of wiring you want or else you're tearing out walls and rebuilding them to put in the wiring for solar. So I think if we're looking for affordable housing, we should be very, very clear on what we want and realize there's ideas that are going to add to permitting time and costs and possibly manufactured housing uh, have to be rebuilt. So I think we need to be uh, just concentrated on our goal. We need to go with that. All right. Great. Thank you. Mike, do you want 30 seconds? Please. wanted to speak to that added cost. That cost gets put on the builder and the owner. They, in turn, will put it on to renters. This doesn't affect just our homeowners directly. It affects our local renting market. It affects our local ability to get that landing pad that was previously stated. The costs get put down the line. And if we could alleviate those costs out the gate, that's where I'd like to go. Okay. 30 seconds, Steve. I'm good. Okay, I do have one follow-up for both of you. This is a one-minute follow-up. I'm hoping um, to get your opinions on camp parks for locals and other alternative housing. Um, let's see, I believe, Steve, you would be first. One minute. So from what I've seen written, and I haven't seen the final draft yet, but um, it seems a little confusing to me. If you want to set up a land use plan, and that's what we've been working on for a while, why would you change or just allow anybody to change the zoning on their parcel with disregarding the, the node um, method that's being planned now? It seems to me that nodes where you concentrate your, um, concentrate and, and with designed standards, why would you give that all up to let people put four RVs in? And it, it just, uh, it seems like it's not thought through yet. 
Okay. Um, Mike, same question. Um, your opinions on camp parks for locals and other alternative housing. Where I do see that being a temporary fix for our current in need of and even to the point of homeless. I see that being a quick fix, but not a long-term solution. Planning and zoning needs to put the policies in place for us to further uh, expansion out into the valley. We're, we need to get this forward, both forward and on, we need to get on board with it quickly. Uh, time, time both costs money and people still need houses now. Uh, hence the sense of urgency. Thank you, too. Um, we're going to move on to our next question. This is related to tourism and the, the economy. Mike, you're up again first. Um, this was a big topic at the chamber debate held earlier this month. I think it's safe to say that there's a certain anxiety among the business community that our tourism economy is not being prioritized at the county level. Do you agree? What should be prioritized when it comes to our local economy? And what current or future strategies related to economic development would you support if elected? Immediately, we need to work to stabilize and our sustainable and make sustainable our current economic engine, which is tourism. No one is able to make clear and precise decisions without being able to put food on the table and a roof over their people's heads. It is not a secret that our major source of income is our guests. We need to manage this resource sustainably. At which point after being able to get at which point after being able to get to that fabled we have breathing room, I would like to look far more into diversification in diversification within our economy in Moab and the surrounding area in our Grand County area. And that goes for even diversification within our current tourism industry. We need to make it more sustainable year round. Everyone knows our economy shuts down in a few short months. We need to be sustainable throughout the year, not just during the summertime. Okay. Thank you, Mike. Steve, same question. Could you repeat it? Yes, of course. Um, there's a certain anxiety among the business community that our tourism economy is not being prioritized at the county level. Do you agree? What should be prioritized when it comes to our local economy? And what current or future strategies related to economic development would you support if elected? So I, I think you're talking about uh, the spending of the TRT funds for advertising. So uh, there was a little bit of a lull in that, and then when the slowdown happened, people were upset because there was money in the cash reserves for that. So advertising, I believe, has to be carried on in a, in a systematic method and a consistent method, and I think we should continue that to make sure our tourism businesses are promoted, not just around Utah, but around the world. As far as diversification, when, you, when a business wants to start a new area, a new program, 
you have to take some of your money that you're making now and invest it in the new program. That's the only way you're going to diversify your business. And it'd be the same with the county. We do need to set aside money and look at different types of economies that will balance out the annual cycles that we have. And once we get a few little fledgling businesses started that are non-tourist related, our uh, economy will start to level out year-round so we won't have these highs and lows. And then we will not also be so tied to the tourist business. So if it does have a bad year, the whole valley doesn't have a bad year. That the other types of businesses would be sustaining us through these um, downturns. Thank you. Mike, do you want to take 30 seconds? A few seconds. Okay. As my opponent says, you have to take your set-aside money to hope to diversify your own business. Yes, but right now, this year, we are not able to have a set-aside. As our county officials have already stated, we're 800000 behind in intake revenue. We need to get to a point with our with our current economic engine where we can look at that. Okay. Steve, 30 seconds. I'm good. Okay, I do have a one-minute follow-up, timekeepers. Um, I just wanted to drill down if there were any specific current strategies related to economic development that either of you support. Um, Mike, oh, I, I'm sorry, Steve, you're up first. So, as I mentioned before, the research into agriculture products, I see as a big potential. We already have the tools here with the university and with farm ground, and it's really an issue that there's a huge amount of money going into because it's a big problem. Crops that can't grow where they used to be able to grow. So you need to modify those uh, varieties, and um, little test farms around here wouldn't have to be more than a few acres where you could plant a new variety and see how it works. Uh, that's just one, ep one example. In addition to actually helping the farmers, it creates a new supply chain. Slightly different items are needed for that type of research. And so now we've got new businesses that could crop up or existing businesses that expand into new areas and diversify their um, business also. Okay, Mike, same question, one minute. Will you say that question one more time? Sure. Are there specific current strategies related to economic development that you do support? I can't fully say that I support or stand behind any current strategies. And not to defer the subject, but it comes down to housing and staff. Even if we could diversify our economy and get other businesses or other types of uh, production in, in the works, where are they going to get workers from? We can't house our current work staff numbers, let alone future and trying to plan uh, out getting more. We need the houses to support the economy. It, it, it works hand in hand. Got it. 
Okay, thank you too. We have time for one more question. Um, this one is about um, public lands, of course. Um, Grand County is surrounded by federal public land. Uh, the commission often weighs in on various federal planning efforts, travel management, um, creating a vision for the tailing pile, a forthcoming public lands bill. These are all examples of where this next commission could have influence. What do you see as the role of public lands in Grand County? As a commissioner, how would you support this vision within your realm of influence? Um, Mike, you're up first. Within our realm of influence, the commission can have many ways to influence uh, the decision-making of our area. I do think that public lands should remain public. Public should have access to public lands. We see a lot of trail closures and a lot of outdoor recreation uses that are getting shut down in our area. I do not support closure of public lands. That's, that's. Thank you. Um, Steve, same question. So I think what I would do is try to continue or even expand on the education of all of our users that we have to share our public lands and we have to be respectful of not only people out on the trail but of people in town. I think that's got some potential. Uh, one program that I watch um, that I can't think of right now, <laughs> it's uh, produced in Salt Lake and uh, they talk about, it's leisure living. They talk about a lot of uh, use of the outdoors of Utah and a lot of ATV stuff. This would be a perfect place to start some commercials about sharing the land. And one of the more exciting things, I think, is the mill tailings getting cleaned up and what can we do with that? And um, I think uh, I'd like to work on that. That just would be interesting to see what you could do over there and see what kind of things that all the valley could could share and enjoy. Um, so that's it. Okay, thank you, Steve. Mike, would you like 30 seconds? Okay. All right, you guys are uh, very easy. We're going to go now to the closing statements. Uh, this is an opportunity to clarify or expand upon a point made earlier in the evening. You could also use this time to summarize your campaign and why voters should elect you to serve as the District 5 representative on the County Commission. Um, candidates will have one minute for their closing statements. Steve, we'll start with you. So as I started out with, with water, this is an area I'm passionate about. So no matter what happens in November, whoever you guys vote for, for not just us, but for all the representatives, keep bugging them about water. Keep talking to them. Let them know that it really is an emerging issue. And the earlier we take care of it and the better plans we make, um, I have a pipe dream. Yes, this is going to be a pun. I have a pipe dream that if we plan our water correctly and early enough, that Mother Nature can have a seat at the table forever. But if we wait too long, she's the first one that gets booted off. So anyway, I appreciate your vote, and um, we'll see what happens. Okay, thank you, Steve. Mike, closing statement. 
It is important that we foster open communications to ensure the public and their voice has its part in our political decisions. As our decisions of the commission will affect, will affect everyone directly within our county. Responsibly managing our water and removing some of the roadblocks to our building process to expedite our very current housing crisis. I care deeply for this community. I've been a part of it my entire life. I can protect our collaborative legacy to work together on solutions that provide a future that include our children as well as ourselves. I'm Mike McCurdy, from here, for here. Thank you to District 5 candidates Stephen Getz and Mike McCurdy for participating in this debate. Um, we'll now ask our small live audience for a round of applause for these candidates. Thank you. All right, you, you guys did really well. Thank you so much. I'll now ask um, the District 4 candidates, Lori McFarland and Mary McGann, to approach the podiums and get settled up there. Uh, Sarah is going to adjust your mics um, and help you get settled in. For those tuning in um, on KZMU, you're listening to the 2022 candidate debates with those running for Grand County Commission and State House District 69. This program was put together by KZMU with the support of the Southeast Utah League of Women Voters. Election day is Tuesday, November 8th. Ballots should be going out to registered voters this week. If you need to do so, you can still register to vote online at vote.utah.gov or in person at the Grand County Clerk's Office. All right, we are getting uh, the candidates running for the District 4 seat set up on the microphones. District 4 covers neighborhoods east of 400 East. There's a much better way to find out if you are in District 4, and that's by going to grandcountyutah.net and searching your address on the voter precinct map. I'll do my best to describe it, but there we go. Well, Lori and Mary, you're both up there. Thank you both for being here. Uh, we're going to start off with introductions. Um, candidates will have one minute to introduce yourselves in any way you'd like. Um, we'll start alphabetically, of course, by last name. So, candidate McFarland, you are up first. We're both MCs, aren't we? <laughs> My name's Lori McFarland. I'm running for the commission seat for District 4. I have a degree in international relations with um, a focus and emphasis on problem solving in government. After doing an internship for my congressman in, in uh, Arizona congressman in Washington, D.C., um, I decided that I was better suited to the private sector and went to work for a startup airline where I had lots of experience managing yield management, quality control. Um, I came to Moab 27 years ago to work on the river. I met my husband, Scott, and we started a small business and raised two tiny kids uh, that graduated as Red Devils, so I guess they're locals, I'm not. Um, we started on a shoestring budget, as I'm sure Kyle and Carrie Bailey can attest to as they shared their nightly rentals with us whenever they had vacancies. And we um, now get to share the beauty on a daily basis of this county. Thank you very much. All right, thank you, Laurie. Mary, introduction? Yes, I, I want to thank the League of Women Voters and KZMU for sponsoring this debate. I've served as Grand County Commission since 2015 and have truly, 
truly enjoyed my job. As a commissioner, my priority is to safeguard the quality of life for Grand County's residents and to incorporate citizens' feedback when making decisions. I've learned that collaboration is essential to successful outcomes. Democracy works best when you have a choice. So as much as I was hoping I wouldn't have to run a campaign, I do appreciate and understand that democracy works better when people have a choice. So thank you, Lori, for your willingness to step into the ring. I am excited uh, to serve another four years, and I hope you will vote for me. Thank you. We're going to move on now to questions. Our questions tonight have been sourced from our nonprofit partners and the community. Just briefly, for anyone just now tuning in, timekeepers will hold up cards when candidates have 30 seconds and 10 seconds remaining. They have two minutes to respond to each question. When candidates have reached their time, the timekeeper will ring a bell. At that point, candidates can finish their sentence but shouldn't start a new one. And candidates, if you'd like me to repeat any question, please just say so. Each candidate will have an opportunity for a 30-second rebuttal if they ask for one, and the moderator may, may pose a one-minute follow-up. Again, we'll ask our small live audience to keep a respectful silence after each candidate speaks, reserving their applause for the end of this event. Candidates will answer questions in rotating order. Mary, you already know this question is going to you first. <laughs> You're standing up there. Um, housing. Housing. Grand County has made progress on workforce and affordable housing, um, but throughout this campaign season, we have heard from candidates that there are still barriers to creating housing options for locals in the county. Do you see any of these barriers, and what are their solutions, and what are the solutions that you would work on if elected? Housing. It's been an issue in Grand County for a long time. Uh, I remembered our last mate, Lori, said that uh, when she moved to Moab, she had to live in a tent, I think it was, or a trailer. So it's been an issue for a long time. The county's been working to establish both low-income housing and attainable housing. They're very different. Low-income housing is for the people who are 120% below the medium, which is about earning $9,900,000 a year. So you have to have a fairly low income to have a, a low income housing. And then there's attainable housing, and attainable housing is for people that are in that other group that don't make a whole lot of money but are essential workers, such as nurses and teachers and, and uh, law enforcement and uh, people working for the BOM Forest Service and the national parks. We have the HDHO ordinance, which I'm very proud of, was very hard to organize and develop and has had a lot of hurdles to get over, but it's for attainable housing. It's for people who live in Moab and work in Moab. While a royal crossing, which we jumped over the last hurdle last summer, is for affordable housing. It's for people that are low income. So those are two things that the county has worked very hard on. And yes, Mike, I agree with you. I wish it was so much faster. We have had so many hurdles. I, it's like they work hard to make it impossible for us to provide low-income housing. All the rules and the regulations, if you have some type of sweat equity uh, housing as opposed to HUD housing, is very difficult. But we have made a lot of headway, and now we're working on that type of housing for 
are very seasonal workers that uh, we've discussed in the past as far as uh, alternative dwellings. Thank you, Mary. Oh, I just barely got done. <laughs> Lori, Lori, you're up next. Uh, same, same question. Would you mind repeating sure. the question, please? Um, candidates throughout the campaign season have talked about that there are barriers to creating housing for locals in the county. Do you see any of these barriers, and what are the solutions that you would work on if elected? Um, what I'm hearing from the community is that housing is the number one vehicle to rise economically. Most people don't start a small business. Most people are part of the service economy. And I believe that folks should still have the opportunity to do that. It's kind of an American dream thing. Permits for housing, for dwelling in 2021 were down 7.8% per the Department of Workforce Services, and overall construction permits were down 38%. So even after that pandemic that kicked us, we had fewer last, uh, last year. Why is that? Maybe if we had regulations that were clean, consistent, and predictable, we could make a pathway that would be easier. There's a large segment of the population that is too rich to qualify for a subsidy, and they have come to me and said, Lori, you need to know, these are people that my kids went to school with, 25 to 30. I make too much money. I'm gonna have to work less hours and pretend like I'm poor to be able to qualify for subsidies because I'll never get a house. I think that's not what we had planned, and I think that we can do better with that. I think that some of those um, federal lands that we have, we have 96% of our um, lands in Grand County are either federal, state, uh, uh, federally owned, 75% is federal lands, but some of those federal lands we can actually get involved in and perhaps use those as a pathway to helping some people to get housing that's um, respectable, sustainable, and affordable. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lori. Mary, would you like 30 seconds yes. to respond? Yes. Uh, as she mentioned, it is frustrating. I know when I was talking to Mike when we were at the at, uh, city market, he said that he couldn't go into a royal crossing. And that's why we have the HDHO. And it's been really frustrating. We've had people uh, challenging how we've set up the rules, and it's been postponed quite a bit. So, uh, but we are working on having attainable housing as well as low-income housing. Okay. Thank you, Mary. Lori, 30 seconds. Clean, consistent, predictable. Let's let people who know how to do this and solve this build some stuff. All right, I'm going to ask you to, the same follow-up I asked the previous candidates, this is a one-minute follow-up for our, our um, timekeepers, your opinion on camp parks for locals and other alternative housing. Lori, you're up first. Well, I'm not going to lie. What I'm hearing in my neighborhood is people have concern about the integrity of their neighborhoods. And so people that have bought houses, most of them, in my neighborhood, I've lived in my neighborhood for, for heaven's sake, 25 years. And they're saying, we love our neighborhood, but what we're finding is that 
We have so many people parking in our streets. It's overspilling and overflowing. So maybe when we're looking at how we're doing this, we want to address things like a parking space for every bedroom that you have or something that makes the integrity of the neighborhoods last. I lived in a tent, as Mary reminded me I did 27 years ago. That's not the best pathway. Let's figure out a way to make it so we can sustain our neighborhoods and have a place that's decent for folks to live. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. Same question, opinion on camp parks for locals and other alternative housing. One minute. Uh, we have a private developer who has successfully done a camp park. And it's been really good. It's called uh, something Roost. I'm sorry, I can't pull up the name right away. But uh, he has successfully done that, and he makes sure that everybody that's in that park is uh, local and that they're working for the community, and it's been very successful. Uh, we are working, and the one thing we don't want to do is to hurt neighborhoods. But I do think there's places in the county that we could have alternative uh, units and dwellings for people so that they, if they're moving here and they need a time to find a house, they have a place to live. And for our river runners and our people that are seasonal, they're not going to want to buy a house, but they're going to want to have a place to park their vehicle. Okay. So I think having some alternative uh, units is advisable. Thank you both. Uh, we're going to move on to the next question. This next question is about noise. Um, there are a lot of strategies to quiet down the Moab Valley put forth by local lawmakers. If elected, uh, which ones will you be supporting moving forward? What is your strategy when it comes to noise in Grand County? Mary, this one actually goes to you first. Noise, it's a big, it's a big topic. Uh, continue exposure to excessive noise is a health issue. It can cause stress, anxiety, depression, high blood pressure, heart disease, and many other health problems. Chapter 27 of the Utah Code requires Grand County provide for the health, safety, and welfare of its citizens. To not do all we can do to address the excessive noise created by UTVs and ATVs would be negligent. As well as following the Utah Code, Commissioners should listen to their residents. We receive more emails concerning UTVs and ATVs than any other issue in this town. For every one email we get asking us to do nothing to mitigate the noise, that it's okay, we get three asking us to do something. Of those three, 96% are locals. Of the one-third, only 12% are locals. It is our responsibility as commissioners to listen to the people and to provide for their wealth, their welfare. The commission has been accused of not listening to UTVs and ATV communities. That is not true. On April 12, 2021, we organized a workshop with UTV businesses. We hired a facilitator from USU to run the workshop so it would be held in an unbiased manner. Now those same businesses, including my opponent's UTV, are suing the county. The lawsuit brought an end to any future collaboration between those businesses and the county. This lawsuit may be very costly to the taxpayers' money, 
and to fight the lawsuit. It is your money that's fighting that lawsuit. It is frustrating. Thank you, Mary. Lori, same question. Would you mind repeating yeah, the question? Yeah, of course. Um, there have been a lot of strategies to quiet down the Moab Valley put forth by local lawmakers. If elected, which ones will you be supporting moving forward? What is your strategy when it comes to noise in Grand County? We all live here. Um, we have to collaborate, not mitigate. In order to mitigate, we actually have to collaborate. Um, I believe in solutions, not picking fights. Um, and I believe that we need to bring all the stakeholders to the table. Um, I believe that lowering the speed limits has made surprising inroads to helping the community. From what I'm hearing in the community, people are happy. They have more peace. They have more tranquility. That was something that the state said we weren't allowed to do. We did it anyway. It worked. Uh, maybe. We'll find out if it worked. Um, the industry, uh, the side-by-side -side industry, brought forth House Bill 180 as an industry and led the way for education, mitigation, for any person that's going to come to our community and own or rent a side-by-side, -side, they have to take a class in good stewardship for the land. So as an outfitter, we not only do that by volunteering to do that, but now we've um, committed ourselves by statute to follow that. That was our idea. Let's plan, let's make signs, let's direct people, let's teach them how to recreate properly in our community so that we can have peace. Let's don't pick fights. I think if you were to ask our county attorney, she would say that our company was at that table trying hard to help them get data, to get noise data, to it, every invitation we went to help make good policy, but then it broke down when the commission decided to use a cudgel and hit us with it. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Lori. Mary, do you want to take 30 seconds? Yes. Uh, I, agree, I agree that collaboration is really important, but now it's going to be very difficult. Well, our hands are tied. We cannot communicate. And I do agree with Lori. Her company was the most agreeable to helping and working on the noise issue. I wish they weren't suing the county at this time. I also think that it's just really important for us to realize that they've only had the ability and the right to ride on our city streets for seven years. Seven years. Okay, Lori, 30 seconds. The company that my husband and I own were the only company to sign a very unpopular in our community um, petition that says let's keep side-by-sides out of the national park. We did that by choice and took some heat for it. We are collaborators. We're part of trying to solve problems. Um, I don't want to fight. I don't want to be in a lawsuit. But when they threatened to take my business license away if three customers were to get a citation, it was motivating. Thank you. Thank you. I have a one-minute follow-up just for Lori. Um, as you can imagine, we did receive a few questions from um, community members about the recent lawsuit filed against Grand County. I'm hoping you could take this opportunity to address how you would navigate conflict of interest issues if elected. You know what? This is um, uncharted water. 
have never been in a lawsuit before, and I would rather not. I feel like it's important for me to stand with the community when you're having, uh, when you're getting poked. I really can't address specific issues about the lawsuit because I've been told I can't. I would love to. Um, I'm happy to follow the counsel of uh, attorneys that guide me. And if I need to recuse myself, I'm happy to do so. Thank you so much. All right, we're going to move on to um, our next question. This is related to community fabric and collaboration. Um, Lori, this does go to you first. Recently, a local educator told me that if kids in a community aren't healthy, no one is. They were referencing the social fabric issues that kids here in Grand County often deal with, including mental health, substance abuse, interpersonal violence, and intergenerational poverty. If elected, how would you help strengthen Grand County's response to issues that threaten our community fabric from our youth to the elderly? We are just curious if you have a strategy to more closely collaborate with community-based organizations, the school district, board, and others. It's a personal issue. I believe that everybody's got something. Um, we all struggle in one way or another. This is a very personal issue for me, and the resources that we need as a community to support one another and to, to do outreach are critical. Money comes from only so many places in our community. The way that we're taxed, the way that um, property taxes come into play. I believe that mental health issues need to be a huge priority um, especially when it comes to youth. I think that the challenge is we're driving families away because the only people that can afford to live here right now are, in my age group, retired wealthy people who don't have to worry about how much the property taxes, they just pay it. I don't think that's what we want as a community. I believe we want families. We want to have that root. We want them to be our people that run for commission, reluctantly or not. I believe that what we need to do is decide as a community what our values are, not just by doing a study. Let's involve the stakeholders and invite them to the table, and let's decide what we want to be as a community and not just have a failure to plan. Let's plan who we are and become that with mental health, I believe, is a huge priority. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mary, same question. Would you repeat it? Sure. Um, if elected, how would you help strengthen Grand County's response to issues that threaten our community fabric from the youth to the elderly? Uh, we are curious if you have a strategy to more closely collaborate with community-based organizations, the school district, on issues like mental health, substance abuse, interpersonal violence, and intergenerational poverty. It's a lot, I know. That is a lot. <laughs> that's a whole lot. Uh, this is a subject that's been dear to my heart for a long time. I taught in Grand County for 33 years and taught overall for 40 years. In the 90s, I looked around and our town was in absolute crisis. We had zero activities, nothing for children in this town. We didn't have a CJ uh, Children's Justice Center. We didn't have a Family Support Center. We didn't have a skate park. We didn't have a teen center. We didn't have the youth garden. And we didn't have foster parents. And my husband and I were foster parents. And I took a year off school to work on those issues. 
and created a foundation called the Infant Through Youth Foundation. And through that foundation, we got the CJC, we got the Children's, uh, we got the Family Support Center, we started the Youth Garden, we built the uh, skate park, uh, we just, oh, and we started the Beacon Club. And I started a fundraiser, and I thought, oh, dear, I'm fundraising against all the people I've supported to get started. And so I folded up the foundation and decided to work in other ways. That's the type of energy I have to work with people and find creative solutions. We have issues. We've always had issues, and we need to collaborate and work. I've been on many boards from the uh, board for the homeless, I, I communicate constantly with the school district. I'm working with a, a multicultural center, and I will continue to collaborate with anyone and everyone who is working on the issues that are affecting our children, our teenagers, our young adults, and our seniors. It's very important we collaborate and work together and find creative solutions. Thank you, Mary. Lori, do you want 30 seconds on that question? I think it's fabulous that Mary contributed those things to our community, and I applaud her for that. I think that I know how to get more out of less, and I'll do my best to just get the most bang for the buck and all those organizations, and if we can find a better way to do things, I'll do my best. Okay. Thank you, too. We are closing in. Uh, we have our... Last question, um, this one goes to Mary first. Um, science on climate change indicates we should expect more natural disasters over time, including events like wildfire and flooding that are greater in size and density. If elected, how would you prepare residents and the county budget for these events? Would you repeat the last sure. part of that? If elected, how would you prepare residents and the county budget for these events? Okay, I'll address climate change to begin with. Uh, during the 2019 general session, uh, two Republicans uh, created a bill called House Bill 411. And it is to work towards net zero admissions by 2030. I'm happy to say Grand County and the city of Moab and the city of Castle Valley have all joined to be part of that uh, climate uh, initiative. Uh, wh what it means is 100% means that the amount of electricity participants use every year will be matched by the same renewable energy delivered by Rocky Mountain. So that's one thing we're doing right now for climate change. And it's exciting. There's rural communities like ours, and there's Salt Lake City, Kearns, and Ogden that are all involved in this. There's approximately 25% of uh, the state of Utah that's participating in this program, and Grand County's one of them. We've also participated in the Blue Sky, and we have bought solar uh, farm uh, units. Uh, we are looking at investi uh, investing in solar panels and making the airport solar efficient. Uh, we're uh, working with uh, the Division of Water Rights and the Ute Grand County's USU uh, 
Geological Survey deter determine ways that we can protect and take care of our water because as climate changes, we found out this summer, the clouds move slower, they hold water, a lot of water, and they rain. I was instrumental in uh, writing the new uh, job description for the emergency manager that is being uh, recruited at this point so that we will have an effective emergency manager in Grand County. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. Lori, same question. Do you want me to repeat it? Thank you, yes. Okay. Um, science on climate change indicates we should expect more natural disasters over time, including events like wildfire and flooding that are greater in size and density. If elected, how would you prepare residents and the county budget for these events? Well, there are people, I, am I done? Oh, no, Alice. Yeah. <laughs> just well, hold on, hold on one second. We have a timekeeper. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> All right. We get Alice. Okay. Alice, you can cut me off. But okay. <laughs> okay. Two minutes. Uh, if elected, how would you prepare residents and the county budget for these events? I believe that there are people that are better suited to help us come up with some of those emergency management situations. I am not an expert there. I do believe that we have an issue that we need to discuss and address there. Um, I was at a climate change summit at the University of Utah on Friday, and it was so exciting to listen to and collaborate with the people that are coming together that want to solve problems together. We all have to be adults in the room. Uh, one of the biggest challenges that I have had with affiliating with the Republican Party is the stance on climate. I believe that climate is a huge issue. There was just a poll done of 100, no, 823 Utahns throughout the state, and they were polled to find out what they thought was their number one issue. And it wasn't inflation, and it wasn't gas prices. It was water use. Number four was air quality. These are issues that even in our state, in our conservative little state, people are finally getting on board and want to have sustainability, but we need it to come to the table and discuss these things in a collaborative way so that we can solve problems. I believe that there are pathways for people to come and bring that second economic engine to Grand County using um, a lot of those um, mitigation companies that are going to help us rebuild our soil, that will help us to um, mitigate impacts of climate. Why don't we have that as a second industry here in Moab? I believe that if we're all collaborating and at the table with new ideas and diverse ideas, we might be able to come up with some um, better solutions. Thank you so much. Mary, do you want 30 seconds? Okay, we're gonna move right along then to closing statements. Um, we will take one minute each for these closing statements. This is an opportunity to clarify or expand upon a point made earlier in the evening. You could also use this time to summarize your campaign and why voters should elect you to serve as the District 4 representative on the County Commission. Lori, you are up. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity tonight. I believe that starting a business on a total shoestring with two tiny kids taught us to get more with less. There is the opportunity with greater financial planning 
and um, careful expertise that Grand County can keep our expenses down and our property taxes down and still have phenomenally good quality of life, but it takes work. A budget is not a plan. It doesn't matter if we've stayed under budget. If we fail to plan, we don't have a pathway to make the quality of life that I believe we want to have. Let's decide who we want to be and let's have a community that thrives um, for families and service workers and government workers together. Thank you for the opportunity tonight. Thank you, Lori. Uh, Mary, closing statement. Thank you. I've been an effective commissioner and these are some of my accomplishments. I worked with a group, a team, and we lobbied for money, and we have found enough funding that we have shortened the time period that the tailings will be removed from the uh, banks of the Colorado River by 10 years. I worked closely with the Utah legislators to create a park. Utah Raptor State Park will be created north of town, which will not only protect a valuable area and a wonderful historical site, it will also bring in tax dollars, and it's going, we're going to also have some uh, housing for the uh, employees there. I have worked with uh, Senate, federal senators and representatives to acquire veteran housing vouchers. Our veterans were not getting housing vouchers when I was first elected. They all went to Colorado. Now our veterans get housing vouchers. I've worked on many things and been very effective, and I love my job, and please vote for me. Thank you. Thank you both to uh, District 4 candidates Lori McFarland and Mary McGann for participating in this debate. <laughs> Thank you all so much. It's not easy to stand up there and answer questions. We have one more commission debate before we take a brief break. I will ask at-large candidates Emily Campbell and Bill Winfield to approach the podiums and get settled up there. We're going to get your mic situated. You're tuned into the 2022 candidate debates with those running for Grand County Commission and State House District 69. This program was put together by KZMU with support from the Southeast Utah League of Women Voters. Election day is Tuesday, November 8th. Ballots should be going out to registered voters this week. If you need to do so, you can still register to vote online at vote.utah.gov or in person at the Grand County Clerk's Office. The two candidates uh, before us running for an at-large seat on the Grand County Commission are just getting their mics on. At-large is great because I do not have to attempt to describe the district boundaries <laughs> in this race. Um, if you are registered to vote in Grand County, you will be able to vote for one of these candidates. Emily and Bill, thank you so much for being here. We're gonna start off right off the bat with introductions. Um, candidates will have one minute to introduce themselves in any way they'd like. Um, as we've been doing, we're starting alphabetically by last name. So candidate Campbell, you are up first. All right. Well, again, thank you so much to KZMU and the League of Women Voters for making this space tonight. And thank you for all of you who are here to listen or listening on the radio. Uh, I'm Emily Campbell, 
and I'm running for county commission for the same reason I stepped up to volunteer for the planning commission six years ago. I look at how fast things are changing around town, and it doesn't matter what your political affiliation is, how long you've been here, everyone's feeling the pain. We're feeling the pain as it tears against our community fabric. We're feeling it in the pain of our housing market and uh, in our difficulty of feeling a sense of home. So I stepped up to bring my skills and my relationships and experience to Grand County, and that's why I'm running. I have a background in economics. I worked in economics for several years in economic development, focusing on things like looking at housing markets and how we can adjust them through incentives to make them work a little bit better for the folks on the ground. I want to bring that type of thinking here. I'm an, an ideas-oriented person, an outcome-oriented person, and that is the thing that's most important to me, finding common ground, focusing on the problems, and working together to solve them. Thank you so much, Emily. Bill, opening statement. Welcome, everyone, and thank you, both KZMU and all of you, for attending and taking an interest in our local political scene. We all want and care for Grand County and the beauty that surrounds it. My name is Bill Winfield. My connection to Grand County runs very deep. I grew up here, then wandered around the country for a while before deciding to return and settle back into my roots. This race is about experience, trust, and bringing a new voice to Grand County while listening to all of you, the citizens. Like many of the elections around our country, there's more than enough rhetoric and rumors swirling around this commission seat. Locals I have talked to within the community, myself included, are tired of the divisiveness and the alienation that takes place on a regular basis by our local leaders. It's time to listen to the community, their concerns, and start coming up with solutions to our local problems. Thank you. Thank you so much, candidates. We're moving on to questions. I'm gonna run through these time-keeping rules very quickly. You'll have two minutes to respond. You'll have an option for a 30-second rebuttal, and the moderator may pose a one-minute follow-up question. And if you'd like me to repeat any questions, please just say so. Once more, thank you to the audience for keeping a respectful silence after each candidate speaks and reserving your applause until the end of the event. Candidates will answer in rotating order. This question goes to Bill first. So, um, like I've said earlier in this evening, there's a certain anxiety among the business community that our tourism economy is not being prioritized at the county level. Do you agree? What should be prioritized when it comes to our local economy? And what current or future strategies related to economic development would you support if elected? Well, I definitely agree that it doesn't feel like the community's being heard. The business community has been struggling of recent, and they've mentioned more than once around town that there's been a decline, even followed up by our strategic development director predicting a recession for Moab. We have to maintain our current economy moving forward as we branch out in other areas of diversification. We must continue to support all of our local businesses moving forward. And we need to invest in other light industries such as we currently have, even in Synergy and a few other locals. Enticing other industries to move into our area will require some tax rebates, possibly, or incentives. We have got to start looking elsewhere. 
USU currently has both degrees and vocational opportunities for our community, and we need to continue building on this investment. In order for USU to be able to expand, it is going to require housing, housing. As we diversify our economy, we need to look into other options for keeping up with other parts of the state, even in the solar energy fields. With our current president's plan to complete an alternative, to have us completely on alternative energy by 2050, we have some catching up to do. Why aren't we leading in solar? With Moab and Grand County having an abundance of sunshine, why aren't we making our own power? I do know that Mary mentions possibly putting the airport on solar, but what's wrong with the city building, the county building, the schools, this building? Why are we not moving towards solar on all of our buildings? Thank you, Bill. Um, Emily, same question. So um, my background's in economic development, and one of the tenets of building healthy economies is you build from what exists. And I think that we have the ability to do that. When I look at the tourism economy, I see so many small businesses that are owned by people who came here as guides, who got their start coming here to enjoy our amazing area, our lands, and decided to stay. And I think we need to make it easier for them to stay in business and to keep that engine churning. So where we do spend our TRT dollars directly into the community, I think we focus on small businesses and the opportunity to mitigate the cost of doing business in any economy, not just Grand County today. Now I've talked about a lot of ideas to increase the diversification of our community. One of the things I think we can do is work with the university, and I was so glad to see that the STAR Economic Grant, which I helped to build the application for as part of the Economic Development Advisory Community, is uh, announcing their winners tomorrow at the county commission meeting. Some of those winners include small businesses, people in sustainable farming, people using the money to build employee housing so they can expand, creating new jobs, bringing STEM education into our schools, and actually developing vocational programs to keep young people here and build from what exists. I've started doing that work in my volunteer capacity, and with a voice and a vote on the Grand County Commission, I can bring my expertise to the table to be more effective. Now, uh, I've also mentioned at the last debate, I think that there are some sleepers in our community that we also can invest in. The film industry, we've all had a lot of fun seeing our resident movie stars moving around town, but they've also brought millions of dollars of economic stimulus over the years to our community with a very low impact on our neighborhoods and creating fun opportunities for our residents to get involved in the economy and share in that benefit. And I think that that's something that we should continue to invest in as well. I see a lot of opportunity to grow, and I'd like to use my experience in economics and my knowledge of the community to invest in what works. Thank you, Emily. Bill, would you like to take 30 seconds? I agree that we need to build on experience. And that's what we need here is somebody who has experience, who's worked in this community, and hasn't been involved in the past six years of government, where we really see very little progress coming out of them. It's time that we started putting something together that works and that is more than just talk. Thank you. Emily, 30 seconds. Yeah, so I wanna take a moment to address this um, because it's come up already in the intro as well. 
I'm not in government, I'm a volunteer. I volunteer my time and my skills and I'm glad to do so. And the things I have been involved with have created some successful starts for the county. I mentioned the STAR grant. I brought my experience to the table and helped us build a more effective application for the grants that are allowing us to diversify our economy. I've brought ideas to the table and I've brought my facilitation skills to help people come together. But I'm not a career politician. This is my first time running for office and I'm just looking forward to the opportunity to serve. Okay, great. Thank you to you both. Um, this Next question is about water. Uh, Emily, you are first. The Grand County Commission is not a water service provider, but the county's elected officials can play a role in our water resources. New growth in the valley will be happening in Grand County. If elected, you could be helping a number of things, creating a water source protection plan, organizing new monitoring wells, and making land use planning decisions based on new water studies. What is your strategy when it comes to water in Grand County? What water-wise planning initiatives would you like to move forward? So we've really seen this year how water shapes our community, not just in terms of knowing what we can pull from the ground to support housing and our local economy, but also seeing the ways the water affects our neighborhoods and being mindful about how our infrastructure keeps us safe and our neighborhoods sound. Now, I do think it's so important to be working with our partners at GWSSA, with the city, with other intergovernmental agencies to be wise about building policies that work for the future. Now, in terms of water-wise policy, there are a number of ideas that I've seen come to the table. They include things like uh, looking at water-wise uh, planning requirements and use requirements for large-scale developments, and even considering using those as a baseline, perhaps there's an opportunity to offer the easement of some of those as an incentive, killing two birds with one stone. I've also seen the idea brought forward that perhaps we need to have a water budget for large-scale developments, and certainly I think it's something we need to be talking about any time that we look at a new development in the county. The more that we can do to quantify what exists, the smarter we can be. Now, the problem we have today is that there's so much uncertainty about what exists, and so it's difficult to make decisions planning for the future when there's difficult trade-offs. Building more housing comes at the cost of potentially hardening our water sources. And that's why where we do build, I think we need to be focusing on locals first. I support housing policies that support local housing over housing policies that don't put locals first. That way, if we do find ourselves in a position where we do have to turn the spigot, we've made sure that we've taken care of our own. And there's actually a, a law on the state books that requires once you hit that sustainable yield, you cannot build anymore. Now, that's a difference between Bill and myself that we'll talk about, I'm sure. I am willing to require that we make sure we take care of our locals where we build. That's something I think allows us to build sustainably into the future. Thank you. Thank you, Emily. Bill, same question. Let yeah. me know. Well, Could you run repeat that it? one by yep. me again, please? Sure. What is your strategy when it comes to water in Grand County? If elected, you could be helping to create a water source protection plan, organizing new monitoring wells, making land use planning decisions based on new water studies. What water-wise planning initiatives would you like to move forward? Well, I think the first and the most important one is the one you mentioned as well monitoring. Currently, I believe that um, other than using existing wells that people and ranchers have in this valley, there is no monitoring wells that are dedicated to our aquifer alone. They rely, we currently rely on data that comes from some of these wells 
and it's not very accurate. And I believe it's time that we started looking for somewhere to find the money to put this together. So well monitoring is important. We live in a community that gets an average of about nine inches a year, although this year has been a little different than that. And we've got to start working also towards capturing some of that excess watershed and putting it into storage. There's options to do that out in the valley, and I think that's somewhere that we need to be looking, whether that's shared with the San Juan Valley or Grand Water and Sewer does it stand alone. Definitely we need to be working towards reducing our outdoor water usage. Many of the houses in this community that are currently under construction are now working towards a more environmental friendly landscaping and that's something we do ourselves in the construction company I own. It's just part of a natural sequence of living in a desert that we need to move that direction. Water conservation is a very serious issue and we need to continue incentivizing new home construction to better landscape use in this desert. I've been involved in the infrastructure projects over the last four decades, many of them here as well as in other places, and that experience is what's needed right now to get us through an aging infrastructure that we have here in Grand County and Moab. Thank you. Emily, do you want 30 seconds? Yes. Um, so actually, over the last several months, we've had the opportunity to hear from Mark Stilson, who's a water engineer. We do actually have water well monitoring. The problem is we don't have visibility into our private wells. And the more we work with the community to get visibility into what we currently don't see, the better off we'll be able to support our residents today. Um, and I believe that the number of wells recently expanded up to near 20. So that is something we have the data on, but we need to be smart about how we use it and make sure that we are talking about it frequently and regularly as a trade-off to things like larger scale development and other options. Thank you. Bill, would you like 30 seconds? Sure. I too have met with Mark Stilson, I believe three times in the past two months, and there are no dedicated monitoring wells for Grand County in this aquifer that we're living off of. I do know that they use the well on Jennifer Spears' property out in the valley as one of them. So it is an area that we need to work on. It's an area that we're going to have to start looking into if we want to really make accurate estimates and guesstimates on what there is for water out there. Okay. Thank you to you both. Uh, we are moving on to another question. Um, this one goes to Bill first. Um, housing. All, all candidates get this question on housing. Um, so Grand County has made progress on workforce and affordable housing, but throughout the campaign season we have heard from candidates that there are still barriers to creating housing for locals in the county. Do you see any of these barriers and what are the solutions you would work on if elected? Our current administration has been slow to allow additional inventory in our housing supply. While they continue to talk about a pipeline of housing, many wonder where the pipeline is. My plan would be to incentivize local builders with significant tax rebates if we want to go towards affordable housing. Attainable housing, we need to start looking at ways to get out of the builder's way and stop penalizing them with additional 
requirements and start incentivizing them to help with this housing problem we have. We have places that we can rezone in areas that make sense to increase our density, such as the small lot residential zones. We've got to start using those. When we talk about housing, in the past six years, I've helped bring approximately 40 homes into the local market for local workforce community members, some of who in this room are living in those homes. We have an unacceptable housing crisis in Grand County. This not only makes it hard on our local workforce, but many seniors and first-time home buyers simply cannot afford to buy homes here now. We lack a plan currently with our local leaders. Currently, the mentality is to redistrict or penalize home builders when we should be incentivizing them. Clearly, the path we are on is not working, and to continue with electing officials from the same pool of thought will change nothing. My lifetime of working in housing and infrastructure leave me being the one with the experience to help this county through some of these struggles. Stick-built ADUs, tiny homes, there's all kinds of options available to continue with housing here. Thank you. Emily, same question. Would you mind repeating the question? Sure. Um, throughout the campaign season, we have heard that um, from candidates that there are still barriers to creating housing options for locals in the county. Do you see any of these barriers? What are the solutions you would work on if elected? Yes, this is a great question. Um, I actually have been spending a lot of time talking with local builders to understand the things that stand in their way. Many of those issues are administrative. That's one of the things that we can do right off the bat. I think that when people are building housing for locals, we should fast track the administrative process. When people are building housing for locals, we should consider waiving fees, certainly reducing fees and making it easier. When people are building housing for locals, we should do everything we can to allow that to happen where it makes sense and in a way that respects our existing neighborhoods, which is always going to be a trade-off. But that is the key difference. We have seen what happens when people build without caring about who's going to be living in those homes. We need to make sure that we have housing for our residents, for the people in our workforce, for our retirees, for the people whose kids go to school here. And I think we can do more to make that easier for the folks doing that. But I will stand here and saying, I don't think that that is a burdensome requirement when we are going to the ends we can to make that easier, and we should. Now, in terms of some of the things that I have helped in my volunteer capacity, I supported the Assured Housing Program. If a new large hotel comes to town, they will be required to put some amount of money and units aside for workforce housing. I supported the HDHO and helped to write it. Now, there are challenges, there are problems with that. We need to go back and say, hey, if something's not working exactly as planned, let's revisit it. You don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but there are things we can do, and I've talked to some of those builders about creative things they are excited about to come to the table and figure out how to make that work better. And I know that this question around the ADO, the alternative our, uh, dwelling ordinance, will come up, maybe, <laughs> but I support that. People live in different types of housing. We need to not let perfect get in the way of good. Let's make sure that people have stable, dignified options. Let's make sure that we have options that scale, and let's do more to make it easier to be wise building housing for locals into the future. Okay, thank you. Bill, would you like 30 seconds? Sure. 
When we talk about the HDHO, I was the first applicant for an HDO, HDHO housing unit in this town. It was a moving target from day one. I didn't get, get involved in the lawsuit, but it was a mess from day one. It has not worked well for any developer, and most of them are just trying to get through and be done with it. We can also talk about Cole and Fryer and the 12 units he put out on the coal, um, the call property. He tried to increase that to 24 and was discouraged from doing so. Okay, thank you, Bill. Emily, 30 seconds. Um, I think the call property is in the city. Um, so as far as HDO goes, like we should acknowledge when things don't work out perfectly. That is part of the cycle of learning and making things better, and that's what we're talking about today. We shouldn't be afraid to look at things critically and say, hmm, how could we improve this? But I've had a chance to talk to many of those builders. Where they are falling down is on administrative barriers that are resolvable, and I am willing and ready to come to the table and be creative. Let's resolve those problems. Let's not throw it out just because it worked, but it didn't work as well as we thought it could the first time. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, you know, my tired follow-up is coming now. Um, this is a one-minute follow-up for both candidates. Your opinions on camp parks for locals and other alternative housing. So let me take a moment and quickly explain what the ADO ordinance does. It's written to be an overlay, so anybody who wants to build that type of development is required to go through two public hearings and to meet very specific standards that would not turn this into something that just pops up in every backyard. It just, it will not. But what it does do is it offers an alternative to what is currently happening illegally. It gives us a path to increase enforcement in a humane way. And it gives us the ability to get housing faster. We need to focus on solutions that work with the urgency that the problems uh, deserve to be given. And this is one that may be a short-term remedy, but it is something we need. We need to make sure that our workforce, our essential workers, and our families have stable, dignified housing. Now, I've met many of the people who live in the neighborhood that Mary spoke to earlier. They're amazing people. They're so glad to have an option for them and their families. They're glad to have safe and stable housing. That should be something we focus on while we work on the longer term and the larger solutions. Okay. Thank you, Emily. Same question, Bill. Your opinion on camp parks for locals and other alternative housing? This is a follow-up, so you have one minute. I believe that it hasn't been thought through enough yet. I wouldn't say that I'm against it, but I would say that there are many locals who are. There needs to be somewhere for these people to go and places for them to stay. And it's amazing that we haven't come up with something yet that works for them. The Cam Park that was mentioned earlier that by an individual here in town, I believe is a great idea, and I think more of them should be allowed for that. I don't believe that's a good idea moving them into neighborhoods where people are against it. And I'm aware that the call property is in the city. Um, currently, Colin has property also out in the county that he's given up on because of the red tape that she discusses that we need to remove from the process when many of those people are present here and part of that process, and I don't quite see how she's going to be the one to remove it. Okay. Thank possible you. to do a rebuttal on we that? We can't do rebuttals okay. on um, follows, but save, you can save it for your closing statement. We're going to move on to our next question, which is related to our legislature. Um, Bill, you are up first. 
The Grand County commissioners often lobby state and federal policymakers, especially during legislative sessions. If elected, which issues would you like to engage state or federal lawmakers on and why? And how would you work to build those relationships uh, to help solve these problems here in Grand County? I believe that working on those relationships has to start soon based off of some of the problems that we've had here in the past, more specifically wrapped around the noise situation. It was very evident that our local leaders were not listening to what the state was telling them and instead to the point that they were ridiculing them. Eventually that came out and the state came down here and got involved and I think that's putting the cart before the horse. We've got to work with those people. They make the laws. They determine what we're going to do next. And then we have to fall into those guidelines. There's many things that the state does do that's come about and that has helped us here. In the last general session, they made the HB 82 a bill that allowed us to build accessory dwellings here in town when many of our local leaders were opposed to them. So developing some kind of a standard that allows us to communicate an, on an experienced and on a personal and on a level that doesn't insult them would be a good place to start. We can't continue to advertise and to run off at the mouth, so to speak, about our state leaders when we're also trying to bridge gaps and to build a relationship with them. That's where I would go with it. Okay. Thank you, Bill. Emily, same question. So first, I'll just say how great it is to have the opportunity to have a debate for two people who are running for the state house here in our town. And I think the more opportunities we can have to invite that conversation into our community, the better served we are to build relationships and to bring awareness of our local issues back up to Salt Lake and to the respective communities where these folks live. You know, a lot of the issues that we're experiencing, others are experiencing too, maybe on a slightly delayed status, but issues like housing, the way that short-term rentals have affected our neighborhood, noise, these are all things that are affecting other neighborhoods across the state. Now, in terms of the things that I would specifically want to work with the state on, I think working with the state to get local control over this issue of UTVs on our streets is a positive choice, both for the state legislature and for local businesses and locals living here. The more that we can work together to find strategies and trade-offs that allow us to protect the interests of our local outfitters and businesses, but also our residents, the better served we all are. Not having those options as cards that we can use to work together leaves us very, very little choice, and that's part of the reason we found ourselves in this situation that we're in today. I'd love to work on finding a way to bring that control back locally. Now, another thing that I'd love to bring up with state legislatures is the way that CITLA apportions uh, development across areas like ours. Now what happened when CITLA was first, well it wasn't CITLA when it was formed, but when the state formed, there were all these little check it box parcels scattered across the state, but today we have these giant masses of CITLA properties that have come about through land swaps that now exist largely here in Grand County and around Washington County. 
we are facing the huge impact of carrying the load of any future development. And I think our voice is better served to be an equal and a partner to figuring out how we can work through that land use together. I'd really like that to be a conversation that we invest in as we build relationships with the State House. Okay. Thank, thank you, Emily. Bill, do you want 30 seconds? Sure. I, I think that's a good idea to start building those relationships at the state level. I think that for too long they've been doing just the opposite with our local leaders here. It's hard to ridicule and tear people down and then expect them to put an ear to what it is that you want to do locally. And if we don't start respecting them, there's never going to be any respect for us here either. Emily? So I agree. I don't think we should ridicule people we want to bring in as partners. I was recently uh, looking at an article in the TI from 2015 when I attended a public meeting with our state representative. I remember being invited to a brunch sitting next to Governor, Governor Cox or Lieutenant Governor Cox with my baby on my chest, talking to him about the challenges we face here. I find that these folks are fairly accessible if we give them the opportunity. Sometimes we need to seek them out, but I want to. I want to build those relationships. I think the more that we are uh, outgoing, informing them, the better served we are locally. Okay. Thank you, too. Um, we are going to move on to another question. Um, this one goes to Emily first. It's about the budget. One of the primary responsibilities of the county commission is to pass a balanced budget. It's also where our local government lays out their priorities. What are your priorities with the county budget and where we spend our money? If there's anything that you would want changed in any recent budgets, please tell us how you would balance the budget after making those changes. So the first thing I'll say if you're listening is the meetings are happening right now to review the budget for next year. And I've enjoyed listening in. They're very transparent and you have a chance to, to have a vote or a voice. So lean in, get involved. Um, it's on YouTube for the, the past meetings. Um, so I had an opportunity to sit in on the Economic Development Advisory Board uh, budget strategizing session. I'm a volunteer member of that board. And the thing that I was pushing in that meeting is we need to be outcome oriented. And that comes from my experience as an economist and as a leader. When I say to my teams, what are you doing? I don't want to know activities. I want to know outcomes. What are the metrics you're using to measuring success? What can we look at next year to say, is this working? Do we need to reassess or readjust? It allows us to objectively hold our leaders accountable, and it gives us transparency into the thinking behind the initiatives that the county officers and departments are bringing into the budget. And I think we should work very hard to get visibility into that. And that's something that I would focus on. Now, in terms of anything I would directly leave out of the budget, um, I don't have a strong opinion. I've been watching the meetings as they go. I see a lot of challenging of those line items, and if I see something I have an issue with, I'll raise it. But the thing that I will be hitting on in the early parts of next year, regardless of the outcome of this election, is so what? We now have this budget. What will we see a quarter from now? What will we see half a year from now? How are we gonna know if it's working? I'd like us to have an insert that we can put in the papers with each department saying, here are my key metrics for the year. These are the initiatives that I think are going to help to get that over the line. And here are the line items in the budget that get me there. That type of thinking is objective, it's quantitative, it's fiscally responsible, and it's achievable without a lot of lift and without a lot of burden. The more visibility we have in accessible ways, the more accessible the process is and the more accountability we can have to use our money wisely. Okay, thank you, Emily. Bill? 
Same question? Let me know if you'd like me to repeat it. Yeah, please. Okay. Um, budget. Uh, what are your priorities with the county budget and where we spend our money? If there are any um, line items in any of the county's recent budgets that you would have changed, please tell us how you would balance the budget after making those changes. I think there's plenty of room to work in that budget. I do know that the county's done a fairly good job of balancing it to date. We need to be very careful moving forward as we continue to see somewhat of a tourism drop because the drop reduces also the, in, the TRT tax that we collect and other taxes in this community as well. So we've got a plan for the future, as she said as well. We need to be looking through this a quarter at a time. We need to constantly be looking in that budget for places where we can be eliminating waste and redundancy in the county redundancy between the county and the city as well. We need to be in control of the budget and also secure revenue sources with tourism. We can't rely on strictly tourism to continue to carry this county and we've got to start looking other places and part of that's going to have to come from the budget by incentivizing other industries to come into this town. Light industries, obviously, we don't have access to a train. We can't bring in major industries. Our strategic development director has made it clear that there will be budget cuts, budget cuts across the board, and he's mentioned that there's an imminent recession coming for Grand County. Now, hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully we can get through some of this. Hopefully we do a little better job of spending our TRT taxes and doing some advertising, but the budget is wrapped around all of that. And visibility, I agree, getting it in the paper. It's so complicated right now, it would take more than a simple page in the paper to clear up that budget and make it transparent for the locals. Thank you. Emily, do you want 30 seconds? <clears throat> sure. Um, so some of the other things that we could be doing to make our budget more sustainable. Number one, I'm so glad to see that the STAR grants are going towards helping local businesses diversify. Things like getting access to e-commerce site and support like that through grants and through the university help people expand their operations and bring tax revenue back into our economy. I think we also should look at creatively investing in commercial along 191 to the south that allows us to keep tax revenue local instead of sending it south to San Juan as it develops. So the balancing the budget, which we must do by state statute, isn't just about controlling what goes out, but also expanding what comes in. Thank you. Bill, would you like 30 seconds? I agree that those grants that came out of the TRT were a good idea, especially the ones around the flood. There were many people and businesses both in this community that were hit hard and affected by the storm that went through Moab, not just a storm, multiple. We've had enough storms here to go around, I think. The part of the budget that we need to be looking at is the grants that are handed out that shouldn't be, and I just bring up one of them and talk about reclusing yourself, but we were given a grant out to one of our local commissioners. I, I don't think that that's a good choice of ethics in our local government. Okay. Um, we 
probably don't have time for one more question, but I do want to ask it because you are the at-large candidate, so I want to give you an extra question um, since all of Grand County's uh, voters will be making a decision in this election. This is, of course, related to noise. Um, there are lots of strategies to quiet down the Moab Valley put forth by local lawmakers. If elected, which ones will you be supporting moving forward? What is your strategy when it comes to noise in Grand County? Bill, this goes to you first. Noise in Grand County is the biggest issue that I hear about when I go door to door. It's been sidetracked a little bit lately with the outside influences that continue to bother us here, but really noise is what's driving this community crazy. I will say that several things that we have done that have moved this forward for us has been the reduced speed limit. Although it's caused some problems for people, especially out in the valley, to be able to follow a coming in behind those razors at 15 miles an hour has frustrated some. But I can speak for myself living right out here on this street, just up the road, that the speed limit has helped immensely. If we're going to continue to alienate the businesses and the people that recreate here, the noise problem is not going to go away. It really comes down to collaboration and working with these people rather than forcing them into a lawsuit when they see that's the only avenue as somebody goes after their businesses. So again, we're going to have to enlarge the trailheads. We need to start working towards removing the UTVs and the side-by-sides, and there's only one way to do that, and that's to trailer them out of this community. Eventually, I see that we can get them out of here, but it's not an overnight. We're not going to run them out tonight or tomorrow. So larger trailheads, working with our local BLM and other people to find ways to make that happen so that we can go to a trailering community somewhat and mitigate all of the noise and the issues here in town. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. Emily, same question. Sure, so I already kind of alluded to this meeting I went to back in 2015. I was excited to find this article on. And uh, Google it if you Google my name and, and uh, 2015 UTVs, you'll find it. Uh, there was a number of local representatives there, and my opinion hasn't changed much. What I offered at the time was, I think we need to have reduced speed limits. I think we need to advocate for nighttime curfews in our neighborhood zones. And I think we need to recognize our outfitters are the ones who want to be our partners. But our, one of the largest challenges we have is that many visitors come here and don't even realize the impact that they're having. So I want to make sure we are investing in education. The Moab brand should be one of, this is our home. We treat it with respect, but we're glad you're here. I think that gives us the ability to work with our business community as partners while we're also mitigating the issue in our neighborhoods. But it is something that I've heard from people from all walks of life. It's the most unifying issue in Grand County. I was talking to a gentleman just yesterday. He said, I own a UTV, and I don't think they belong on our streets. I was talking to members of Red Rock Four Wheelers who said, listen, we love getting out in the backcountry, but we don't think UTVs belong on our streets. And that is a reality that we need to recognize. Now, my family's a boating family. We need to trailer our boat. It doesn't swim down Main Street. But it's, we have the uh, ability to bring ourselves to the places where we recreate without impacting neighborhoods. Almost every other type of use uses that, that option. Um, so I, I do think that it is the right way of thinking about this in the long run. 
But I also mentioned I want to work with our legislators to bring more control locally on this issue. The more we have the ability to look at the trade-offs and work together, the more likely it is we can find a solution that works for everyone. By not having local control over this issue, when the legislature took abil the ability of, of us away to, to create spaces around our neighborhoods and our schools and our hospital, it just makes it so much harder for us to work together locally. And I think that that's something we should work with the legislature to bring local control back and allow us to find solutions that work here in Grand County. Thank you, Emily. Bill, would you like 30 seconds? Okay. Again, I agree that we need to be working with our state legislatures. We do need to be bringing control into this valley, and by doing that means that we work with them. We don't ridicule them. The same goes for the local business owners. We have to have them at the table. We heard Lori say that she started the education program. She was a part of that. We have got to work and collaborate with all sides of this issue. That means the people that drive them, the people that own them, the people that rent them, and those of us that don't, that just don't want the noise in our neighborhoods. Okay, thank you. Emily, 30 seconds. So I absolutely do think we need to work with our outfitters, but we also need to make sure that we're listening to the people who live here. We have lost people from this community because of the noise. We have kids and families who are affected by this noise in their homes, in their backyards. And I think we need to speak openly and honestly about that impact to our quality of life. Growth has affected all of us. It has compounded at a massively increasing scale. We are in a different world than we were 10 years ago. Our solutions need to catch up. Okay. Thank you candidates for this discussion tonight. Uh, we will now take one minute each for closing statements. Emily is up first. This is an opportunity to clarify or expand upon a point made earlier in the evening. You could also use this time to summarize your campaign and why voters should elect you to serve as their at-large representative on the county commission. Go ahead. All right. So I'm going to take half a second and advocate for getting educated on the alternative dwelling overlay. Reach out to me. This would not put RVs in every neighborhood in Grand County. We need to create dignified housing options for everyone in our community. This is an important part of the solution. And that's an example of the type of thinking that I bring to the table. We need to have people who come with ideas. When we started that process, we didn't have that exact outcome in mind. We started with the problem. We've got people camping in our parks. We've got people camping in our neighborhoods. We have people working for our businesses who don't have a place to live. Let's bring folks to the table. Let's talk about all the ways we might approach this, and let's figure out what works. That's the type of thinking we need here. It's subjective. It's nonpartisan. It's about working together to find solutions to the collective challenges that we are all carrying. I have kids in the school. I am got my roots here. My husband and I just celebrated 10 years married. I want to make sure we're solving our issues today and not kicking the can down the road. And that is the thing that I am committed to and why I'm hoping to serve. Thank you, Emily. Bill, closing statement. I believe part of the problem was created by the local elected officials. We can't keep kicking that can down the road, I agree. My motivation for running for county commission has been to be a voice for the people, as well as a voice against outside interests impacting our local community and leaders. I am invested in this community, both with long-term business ownership and financially investing in lives and friendships. I put far more value in my friends than I do in my financial investments. 
It is time to replace the outside influences in our communities with locals who want to truly diversify and want diversity and inclusion. I am focused on creating a stable economy in Grand County that provides not only entry-level jobs, but professional careers for our children and many others that come here, both for an education and just to visit and end up staying. We can and must protect the opportunities that many people come here for. Thank you. Thank you to at-large candidates Emily Campbell and Bill Winfield for participating in this debate. We can have a round of applause for these two candidates. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, you are listening to the 2022 candidate debates with those running for County Commission and State House District 69. Please stay tuned. We will be back just after 6 p.m. with House District 69 candidates Phil Lyman and Davina Smith. Looks like I got the signal and we are live back again, streaming from the Moab Arts and Recreation Center. Welcome back to the 2022 candidate debates. I'm Molly Marcello with KZMU. I am your moderator this evening. Tonight's program was put together by KZMU with support from the Southeast Utah League of Women Voters. Again, thank you to the folks at the MARC and the Moab Arts and Recreation Center for making this possible by hosting us in this space. Audio from this event will be available on KZMU's website and podcasts later this week. We also expect the Southeast Utah League of Women Voters will have video on their website soon. So listeners, we are having our final debate of the evening with candidates running for State House District 69. This district is large. It includes Olive Grand, San Juan, Garfield, Kane, and Wayne counties, as well as part of Emory County. Thank you to candidates Phil Lyman and Davina Smith for being here. We're going to start off with introductions. Candidates, you have one minute to introduce yourselves in any way you would like. As we've been doing throughout this evening, we will start alphabetically by last name. So candidate Lyman, you are up first. Feel free to take uh, one minute for an introduction. Thank you. <clears throat> thanks, Molly, and uh, thanks to the League of Women Voters. I appreciate the opportunity to come. I appreciate Davina coming and uh, engaging in this discussion. I think it's really important. Um, I've been the uh, legislator for District 73, which included San Juan, Kane, Wayne, Garfield, Paiute, and Beaver. I could go from Colorado to, to Nevada and stay in my district. Um, I was thrilled with this redistricting to pick up Grand County. Um, I'm south of here. I, I grew up in Blanding. I'm a CPA there in town, and uh, I was thrilled when, I, when, I, when we got Grand County. Um, also, Emory County, a lot of public lands issues. This is definitely the public lands state. We've got four of the five national um, parks in this district. Uh, great people, uh, cattle, resources, all of these things that are so important to each one of us. And, uh, and I'm just, uh, just glad to be here tonight, glad to have the discussion. Thank you so much. Candidate Smith. Good evening, everyone. Thank you, Molly, and the Women League voters for inviting me. I'm, I'm glad to be here and, and grateful. Um, I am. Uh, my name is De uh, Davina Smith. I was raised in Monument Valley, Utah. Currently live in Blanding. Um, I'm a mother of four, and um, I am the first 
Navajo woman to run for Utah State House of Representative. And um, also I'd like to respectfully also indicate that uh, we are on the lands of the uh, Diné Ute and um, I just wanted to give that honor, but most and foremost, I'm here because I want to bring accountability and unity to our new district. Thank you, candidates. Um, we're going to move on to questions. Our questions tonight have been sourced from our nonprofit partners and the community. For those of you who have been with us here all night, please bear with me, but I am gonna go over some of the timekeeping rules briefly. Candidates will have two minutes to respond to each question. Our timekeeper will hold up cards indicating 30 seconds and 10 seconds remaining. And finally, when candidates have reached their time, our timekeeper will ring a bell. Thank you, Alice. Um, at that point, candidates can finish their sentence but should not start another one. Each candidate will have an opportunity for a 30-second rebuttal, and the moderator may pose a follow-up question. In that case, candidates will have one minute to provide an answer to the follow-up. Um, we will ask our live audience to keep a respectful silence after each candidate speaks, reserving their applause until the end of this event. Uh, we are here to participate in an important exercise in democracy, and we aim to treat everyone in this space with fairness and equity. So candidates will answer questions in rotating order. This question goes to Davina first. An essential right in our democracy is the ability to vote. This first question is about voting, which each of you have discussed in your campaigns. What measures do you support to improve and protect voting access in Utah and to make sure that everyone who is eligible can register and vote? First and foremost, um, I will protect our vote by mail. According to Governor Cox in 2020, 94% um, utilized vote by mail. Um, as a Native person who lives on the Utah Navajo Nation, I've seen first and foremost how that has greatly impacted um, our Native families when we didn't have the opportunity to be able to vote because we didn't have the proper addressing. So um, we, we did everything possible to ensure and make sure that, that, that we could have the availability and the ability to. Also, allowing that we can use our tribal um, identification. And it would have been impossible if that was removed because then that meant that we would have a number of my community members travel great distance, possibly four hour trip, round trip, to go and just have a, their ability to vote. So for me, for first and foremost, I, I will protect vote by mail um, and ensure that. Thank you. Phil, same question. Um, thank you. Yeah, there's nothing more important in a republic than elections. We, we have a representative government, so the person that you elect is going to represent you. They're going to make decisions for you, and that's, uh, and that's paramount. Um, the problem that I've had with the elections, and I have been very vocal about this, is that we have outside money influencing the voter rolls, uh, the way that those are administered. If you, if you go back in history and look at the voter suppression that took place, that is immoral and it's wrong. The same thing, the, other, the, you know, the flip side of the same coin is trying to advantage through official means one group over another group. We should have uh, fair elections. Uh, I, I, it's been said that I wanted to ban mail, uh, mail-in ballots. Nothing could be further from the truth. 
Um, what I wanted was for people to send in an application for their mail-in ballot to find out, do they live in the county? Right now, we have voter rolls that are a mess, and we blanket the community with those, with those ballots and essentially count whatever comes back in. Uh, it's, it's not as secure as it, as it could be or as it should be. In San Juan County in 2018, we saw a report came out that said San Juan County is the fastest growing county in the nation. When it came out in 2020, uh, we'd actually dropped by 2,600 people from what they said in, in 2017. And you say, why? why? Why are we messing around with these population numbers? And, and when it affects the voter rolls, that's a, that's a big deal. We had a group that was out saying we've registered 1,600 new voters in San Juan County. Well, those voters aren't there in, 20, in 2020, and I think that's a serious, a serious consideration. The other thing that I proposed was, was a third-party, qualified, uh, independent tabulation review of the voting records. Right now, if I want to see the voter rolls, I can't see them. If I want to see the Cassville records, I can't see them. Um, and I'm not sure that I want to. It's, I'm, I don't have the expertise to do it. But I would like to have somebody be able to go in, especially on these close races, and look at those records and give an, an assurance to, as to whether they think things were done on the up and up. Okay. Thank you. Davina, 30 seconds. We've had an increase because we were able to ensure and get people across the Utah Navajo to get registered. Um, and so that's where an increase had happened. Also, a third party, I mean, I think one thing we have to look at is Utah is, has a great record in our vote by mail. So in order to, again, to remove that, will be it will greatly impact a lot of our rural community members. Okay. Phil, 30. And, and I agree. I don't, uh, I don't favor eliminating vote by mail. What I, what I favor is verifying that the person who's receiving that ballot actually lives in the county and that they provide some sort of assurance on that vote by mail. Um, again, in our, in our elections, there's got to be a better way than at the end of an election having the clerks and the public have a standoff with each other. A third-party qualified person to come in and give assurance would solve that problem. Okay. Thank you both. Um, I do have a one-minute follow-up. There's a little bit of a preamble to this follow-up, so um, please excuse me. But I want to make sure that we mention voting security. The Lieutenant Governor's Office has documented that Utah's elections are some of the safest and best run in the country. Vote.utah.gov has a complete picture of election security in areas like voter registration, equipment, ballot processing, and more. Do you believe Utah's elections are fair and safe? Why or why not? Um, this question goes to Phil first. It's a one-minute follow-up. So if the clerks come out and say, we've got the most secure elections in the state, and there's no reason why anyone should ever be able to look at our records. You cannot look at our records. And then they start to cast dispersions on anyone who says would like to look at the records. That's a warning sign to me. If the, uh, if the, if the lieutenant governor's office says we are the gold standard for elections, then open it up. Let's take a look at it. And again, I'm not saying to just anybody. I'm saying to somebody that's qualified to go in and look at it. I've done my own analysis. And when you see precincts that have over 200% voter turnout, there's an issue. I don't know the answer to that because I can't answer that question, but I can see it right on the state's records that you have a problem, and yet they won't, they won't address those problems. We see it in our ballots right now. Uh, people are getting two or three ballots. Um, that could be a problem. Most people are honest. They're not going to vote all, all three of those, but that shows a weakness in the system that ought to be addressed. Thank you, Davina. One-minute follow-up. Do you believe Utah's elections are fair and safe? Why or why not? I do feel that they are safe. Um, I've only got one ballot, and um, I have 
also uh, have a better, I've had an understanding of what this bill that Phil had presented would have greatly impacted, again, our communities and rural across the board where I've been knocking on doors. I have become aware of what has happened and the, and the, the fear of what would happen if the bill would have passed. And so I think we do have a, a strong, um, I, Lieutenant Governor has done everything, checked all the boxes, and I think we still do. We will continue to. Okay. Thank you to you both. We are going to move on to another question. Um, Davina, this is um, back to you first. Related to housing, um, the Utah Foundation recently researched what they call community quality of life. When asked what could improve the quality of life for Utahns, more than one-third of respondents suggested communities need more housing that is affordable. If elected, how would you help Grand County and the rest of your district advance efforts to create and support affordable and workforce housing? Um, I have to say I've been a renter. I've always been a renter. And right now, currently where I live, I'm still a renter. And, um, but I understand that where we currently live, um, affordable housing is really difficult. And with the businesses that are booming, um, we can't sustain our workers because they can't find affordable housing. And here in Grand County, I've had the opportunity of meeting with some nonprofit organizations that have, done, have been instrumental in ensuring that they focus on local first. And so um, with that being said, you know, we have communities locally here that have come together to address that situation. Now, at a state level, that's where I want to be that voice and show this is a community that's coming together, but also working with local government. And what does that look like? You know, making sure that they have the voice and me making sure that I bring that voice at a state level. Um, I have come to know a number of younger young youths here that are passionate and wanting to stay in this community and thrive in this community, but that unfortunately some feel that will not happen unless we have affordable housing. And so local communities like um, we have a community rebuild, um, we have Royal Crossing, those are some amazing organizations that have come together and forefront to make sure that we can create some change. And I would love to see that across um, our district. Great, thank you. Phil, same question. <clears throat> yeah, thank you. Uh, of course, housing is important to all of us. We, we you know, our, our home is our hearth. It's our, where we raise our kids and it's, and it's pretty important. And, uh, and I'm not um, oblivious to the fact that it's, it's quite difficult for some people to get houses. The, uh, the, the issue that comes up, and it's, it's one of those where you say, that, you know, there's, there's no problem so bad that the government can't make it worse. And that's what happens with this when we start putting on regulations and impact fees and, and all the things that come with, the, with trying to fix the problem. Do we fix the problem or do we make it worse? We talk about subsidies on the low end. If you want to subsidize people to get into a house on the low end, you know what happens? Those low-end houses go up in price because people can now afford a little bit more. We'll all spend about as much as we can afford on, on our house because it is important to us. So uh, the idea that government can somehow fix this, what I would love to see them do is get out of the way of businesses so they can, they can make more money, so they can pay their employees better. Um, I think there's a, there's a, a place for you know, high-density housing, and you see the market respond to that uh, on the Wasatch Front. 
you know, going into these infilled blocks and building some high-density housing. People love it. I've got a developer friend up in Salt Lake. He says, most of my houses have 15 feet of front yard, and for most of my people that buy them, that's 10 feet too much. Um, not everybody wants that. Somebody wants, some, some may want a bigger house, some may want a smaller house. The market will address this issue if we stay out of the way, but as soon as you come in and say to a developer, okay, you can do this development, but you also have to do this much for affordable housing, now the cost of that development goes up and, and the prices are passed on to the people on the lower end. The, the, the solution is, is easy taxes, easy regulations, um, sensible government and not an, over, an overabundance of regulation on, on, these, on this industry. And the, the home builders will figure out a way to meet the demands of the market. Thank you so much. Davina, would you like 30 seconds? Again, it's, it really is working with our local government. It's working with our community that know firsthand what the issues are. Um, again, you know, we're, we're talking outside the box and that's thinking of working with cities. No, we live in rural Utah, and those are the issues that we need to first and foremost think about and address. Again, working with our local and government, because they know firsthand what our community is, is dealing with. Okay, thank you. Phil, would you like more, 30? Sure, yeah. Uh, uh, the cost is largely a factor of supply and demand, and we live in a, we live in a state that's 67% federal owned. In this district, it's closer to 90% federal owned. Um, you know, Las Vegas is built on federal land. It's built on land that, that was BLM land, and it's, and it's used for open space. It's used for tennis courts. It's used for these things. I think our communities need to do a better job with the Recreation and Public Purposes Act, taking advantage of some of the public land that's, that's there for the open space, freeing up and lowering the cost of, of private property. Okay. Thank you to you both. Uh, we are moving on to our next question. This one goes to Phil first. Here in the arid west, water is precious. Lakes Powell and Mead have hit historically low levels. Drought and climate change are affecting water while also exacerbating wildfire risk and disrupting ecosystems. What is your water strategy for Utah and House District 69? How would you balance continued development and the needs of agriculture in our district with the impact this has on water and climate change? So is the question about water or climate change? <laughs> Both, but mainly water. Okay, because um, I think there's another section that we're gonna talk about climate change, but when we're talking about water, uh, um, development is important. Um, I, went, I went on an interview with, with uh, a gal from the New York Times, and, and we went to the Navajo Reservation, and, and she said, you know, isn't this horrible that these people don't have running water? You know, why haven't you done this? Why haven't you brought running water to these people? I said, well, you know, we're, trying they live they they're quite dispersed and it's a real challenge uh ntua said just to bring electricity to the people if they did it to all the people that need it on the reservation the cost would go up to over six thousand dollars a year for electricity but anyway so so we did this then we went up on the mountain where uh, there was a tunnel that was dug through the mountain and a pipeline that was put in and she said what gives the, the what gives these people in blanding where i'm from the right to put in these kinds of invasive infrastructures is because they want running water. That's what it takes. So if you're going to have running water, if you're going to take water to people, it's going to be in pipelines. It's going to be with um, some, some development. It's going to be with some cost. It's going to be with some planning, some engineering, and all of those things. Um, uh, I, I, was, I was very involved. In fact, the Navajo Water Settlement is what got me into politics back in 2008. Um, and, and I looked at that. I'm always looking to say, well, what's, what is lacking in the community and what could we do to, to help? 
and settling the water rights is a big, big issue. And, and we worked on that, went to Washington, D.C. a few times. The Navajo Water Settlement is a landmark decision. Another landmark decision that we have is the Colorado River Authority. When the Speaker and the President of the Senate bring a bill to the, to the committee, that's a big deal. And I was on that committee, and I said, this is probably the most important bill that will come across in my tenure here, probably the most important bill in the last 10 years. Where's Grand County in this? Where's San Juan County? Where's Kane? Where's Garfield County in this? That we were excluded from that. Why? Because there's interests on the Wasatch Front that want to make those decisions for us. And that's what we've got to combat, is, is external forces deciding how we're going to use our water. Okay. Thank you. Davina? Growing up I, uh, in Miami Valley, I uh, used to herd sheep with my grandmother. And there's a spring that we used to go quite a bit to have our sheep drink from. And of course, I used to play in. And also, we used to haul water in. When I uh, later found out um, of the about uranium, um, I talked to a local, Dr. Tommy Rock, who's an environmental, um, has a background in environmentalism. He said, Davina, do you know that I was contaminated with uranium? And I remember unexplained headaches as a youth growing up. And when I became more and more informed of uranium mines across our, our district, predominantly in San Juan County, um, it was apparent that we needed to make some changes. Water is life. It's, it's our, our, our blood vessel. And I know living in Miami Valley, it's a, it's a water desert. But I think also we live in a desert. We need to recognize that. And so we need to start acting like it. And so conserving, having a water-wise planning initiative, what does that look like? Again, working with local government. You know, um, I, I know firsthand when I saw the floods here, but also I hear also droughts. It, it's a roller coaster of, of our environment. But at, right now, currently, we need to look at ways in which to conserve our water and protect it. Um, and so I think that, again, and working with, with, with our local government is the first thing, first step. Okay, thank you, Phil. Do you want 30 seconds? Yeah, I appreciate Davina's um, experience and background on this, and I think it's very real and very um, genuine. Uh, and what, what, I, what I would love to see when it comes to water development is an honest discussion about, about who owns the water, where is it at, what is the future of that water situation, and how do we... From a government standpoint, how do we manage that so that it's actually accessible to the people? Okay. Davina? I, I would have to say, again, working with local, local government, but also working with tribes. Yes, the Utah Navajo Water Rights Settlement, that was, historically, that was due to some treaties that were not, more basically broken because of how the tribes are, the area where it was situated. But I think, you know, moving forward, the settlement will do amazing wonders in our community. But I think right now um, we need to still look at, at ways in which to conserve. Okay. Thank you both. Um, you both kind of anticipated this next question. Um, this is about access to infrastructure. Um, Davina, this goes to you first. If elected, what will you do to ensure that all residents in your district have access to modern, safe infrastructure? For example, not just clean drinking water, but also electricity, waste disposal, and protection from pollution. Growing up, again, as I mentioned, growing back home, which who I am as a, as a Navajo woman, I had the honor of growing up with my grandparents, and that was in a Hogan. 
without running water or electricity. And to this day, I'm grateful because it made me appreciate where I came from. But also, it gave me a better understanding of what's needed for our community. And with the infrastructure, I feel there are still, and of course, this is also doors that I've knocked on across our district. But there are a lot that needs to be done. And right now, we have, we've had floods. Here, currently, you've had floods. Bridges need to be fixed. Roads need to be fixed. Homes need to be fixed. Um, updates on, on our the water system. Updates on even plumbing. There's so many areas that we need to look at. And I have to say again, our local government knows firsthand what that would look like. So working with our local government to seeing where we need to create some improvements and also new developments and ensuring that we have a better um, sustainable uh, town. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Phil, same question. <clears throat> so as a county commissioner, I was county commissioner for eight years in San Juan County, and I was the chairman of the Seven County Infrastructure Coalition. And so we talked a lot about infrastructure. And um, we, uh, I was instrumental in getting the San Rafael Research Center for thorium and molten salt reactor study for, for uh, the helium uh, and hydrogen um, industries in, in, this, in this area. Those things that are really important if you want inexpensive uh, power. When I, uh, as, as, a, as a commissioner, I had some run-ins with, with a few of the special interest groups in the area, and I got a call from uh, an attorney, Steve Booz, who some of you may know, and he said, hey, you probably don't want to talk to me. Um, but I've been hired as the lobbyist for the Navajo Nation. And I said, Steve, you got a job to do, and so do I. Let's get together. Let's talk. So I went over, and he said, What's your, what is your priority for the Navajo Nation? I said, it's simple. It's water, power, and transportation. And he said, well, that's funny, because that's my priorities, too. So we find out, you know, even though we may come at it from different angles, we all recognize these basic, these basic needs, and it, it takes infrastructure. It takes mining. It takes all these things. You know, the uranium mines of uh, 70 years ago are not the same as the as the technology that's there now. Coal is a different technology than it is now. Um, to, to throw those things out, it broke my heart when I saw the, the towers down at Page collapse and go away. So we're saying we want cheap energy to the people who live on the south end of the state, yet we're taking away some of the infrastructure that would help to provide those things. And it's, and it's a delicate balance. I, I respect anybody's opinion on that. But you can't have, you can't have the, the, the fruits of that process without planting the seeds and developing those things. Great. Thank you so much. Davina, 30 seconds. I feel um, we, there are, you know, funding, a great funding opportunity we have currently um, in terms of infrastructure. And I see so many opportunities and possibilities that could be utilized to use the funds. And I've, I'm just, I've always had a question as to why we would like, we would rather, well, it would rather be that there would be a, over a $200 million bridge that would be built where those funds could actually go and benefit across, including Grand County. Okay. Bill, 30 seconds. Yeah, on the bridge, um, if people want to take a look at that, you know, it's a discussion. And there's nothing wrong with discussing this bridge. It doesn't go to Blanding. It bypasses Blanding, and it goes to Ojedo. Um, and I think it's really an important piece of infrastructure. We're, we're out in an area by Lake Powell. We're talking about a, a bridge from Bullfrog to Halls Crossing. Um, and that bridge would do amazing things. When I brought it up with John Curtis's office, they said, 
we have a $40 billion infrastructure earmark for bridges alone. This is exactly the type of project that we're looking for. I think it's a great thing, and it would serve, it would serve this area tremendously. Okay. Thank you two so much. Uh, we are moving on to our next question. Um, this one goes to Phil first. Um, state lawmakers often weigh in on issues related to federal public lands. District 69 has a lot of it. Uh, this district includes Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante National Monuments, as well as uh, coal, oil, and gas mining towns. Public lands in Utah support a lot of things, including wildlife, wilderness, as well as mineral extraction and the outdoor recreation economy. What do you see as the role of public lands in our district? As a state lawmaker, how would you support your vision for Utah's public lands within your realm of influence? Well, I think, uh, I think Davina hit on this. You know, local is better informed than something distant and far away. Uh, I, think, I think all of us like getting out, and I don't like to feel like I'm trespassing when I go out and you've got fences and private property and those types of things, so I like public land. The dilemma that comes is when the government says you're trespassing on these lands, when roads that you've used your whole life, they say that road doesn't exist. It has never existed. And you have to say, well, no, it does exist, and it's a county road, and it's got a county road number on it. Those things are, those things are personal to a community, and it's, and it's a decision that's coming usually in, in connection with the Red Rock Wilderness Bill and Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance, working with Dick Durbin from Illinois to, to push some agenda through Washington that comes and affects our area. We've got the Grand Staircase National Monument, the Bearsers National Monument. These are huge federal land designations. That, that limit the access and limit what we can do in those places. And you will find out, if you, if you disagree with them, you will be charged as a trespasser on your own property within, within hundreds of feet of your own front door. So that, those things, uh, we, we need to understand that he who controls the land controls the people. Sometimes we don't get that, but there are people who understand that very well. People not necessarily even from this country who understand that very well, who are working very hard to control the, the minerals, the resources, the water, the extraction, all of those things. And they spend a tremendous amount of money doing it. And we've, we've seen some of this come, come to light here recently. This is not okay. It's not okay to have global interests deciding what's gonna happen in San Juan County or in Garfield County or in Grand County. Thank you so much, Davina. Same question. In one of my clans, it's the uh, Bears Ears Folded Arms people. My grandfather used to hunt um, in Bears Ears. To this day, my, my family and I, we gather medicine, plant medicines. We, we, I wish we could go continue hunting. My grandfather actually did pass away up in Bears Ears while he was hunting. And I know he would have loved it either way. No, no matter what, I, I know he embraced it. Um, it is our, it's our medicine cabinet in Bears Ears. The thing, that the discussion is, which is not being discussed, is that for the first time ever, we have tribal consultation. We have tribes that are a part of this conversation, which we've never had ever. And if we, if we look at having state control, we won't have a seat at the table. It will mostly be the state or CITLA. And so that is why, at this moment, with the designation of both Grand Staircase and Bear Sears, we get to, as indigenous people, we get to now have a discussion on what is sacred for us. 
When, before the, these lands were implemented, before there were lines, we never saw the lines in these areas. We could go and cross and, and, and give our pilgrimage, or we could go and seek our place of spiritual connectedness. And so that is what this discussion is about. It's not saying, no, we're, not, we're, we're removing your access. No, it's not saying that. So it's saying, how can we all together, that we live here all together, how can we live respectfully with now the conversation of having tribal input? Uh, my father was a rancher. I know about land resting. I, um, I've hunted with, with my family. But it's how do we work together respectfully now? Thank you so much, Phil. Would you like 30 seconds? Yes, thank you. <clears throat> I, think, I think anybody who is born on this planet recognizes that the land is important. That's where we come from. That's where we return to. Uh, to, to deny that would be to deny our, our actual existence. Um, it is sacred, and it is important. And I really appreciate, honestly, the, the Navajo tradition of respect for the land. I think, it's, I think it's important. I think it's something that we could learn from. Yet, we still have to recognize the uses of that land and the way that it can be used to control us. Davina, 30 seconds. Again, it's, it's, it's finally having tribes come to the seat at the table and have that discussion of what that is. Another look, another perspective of those that have been here since time memorial. And it's not, no, it's not at all saying we're here first. No, it's saying let's come together respectfully and have a better discussion on what we can do to best utilize these lands. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, we are moving on to our next question related to education. Uh, this one goes to Davina first. The past few years have been very challenging for schools, parents, and students. There's a statewide teacher and even support staff shortage. Educators and other staff consistently report feeling burned out. Kids can be stressed and burned out too. Um, what ideas do you have to help support education in our state from staff to students? My mother, who taught for over 30 years in education, she put herself and worked herself very hard to obtain two master's degree in education. But also in the classrooms, I saw her literally working day and night to make sure that her students have the best form of education. And even when she had time or when she had the availability to save up some money to get her own supplies, she did that tirelessly. And not only her, but I've seen teachers across the board. But our teachers were not being paid fairly at the wage that they should be. And then our students, our students are, my, I have four kids. I'm a mother of four. And where I grew up, I knew that I had to leave the uh, rural Utah so that my, my children could go to the city and get a better form of education. Now I'm back, and I want that. I want that more than nothing for our students. I did a canvassing out in um, Garfield, met two young girls, one of which she, I asked her, I said, you ready for school? And she said, yeah, I guess so. And I said, what's going on? Why? Oh, you don't seem excited. Well, I'm going to be the only student in sixth grade. My other, the other's another student, but that student's leaving. We are failing our students. We need to do better. And I'm grateful that I would love to see more growing our grassroots, our own, growing our own teachers. Um, better teacher wages, better funding for our schools. Okay, thank you so much. Phil, same question. 
Could you repeat it? Sure. Um, what <laughs> ideas do you have to help support education in our state from staff to students? I think the I think the number one thing is we have to realize who has the primary responsibility for educating children, and it's their parents. Uh, that's why it was so it's so disturbing uh, to see the U.S. Attorney General referred to parents as domestic t domestic terrorists. Um, those kind of things create uh, an un undue uh, anxiety on the part of parents, uh, especially going through the pandemic and some of the, the restrictions. Everybody was under a lot of stress. Um, I meet with the uh, superintendents on a regular basis in the state school board, uh, and th they said during this last session, why is the legislature micromanaging education? And I said, well, when parents show up to speak at a school board meeting and they're shut down without getting to, to say, their, say their piece, they tend to call their legislator. And their legislator tends to open up a bill file and it turns into to some of this uh, back and forth and, and what, the, what educators feel like is overstepping. The legislature doesn't want to be in the middle of education, but we want to protect parents' rights. And if the school boards are not doing that, then the legislature is going to get phone calls, and we're going to say, hey, maybe something needs to change because you've got genuine, serious issues going on with, with the kids. Um, I'm in favor of voucher programs. I'm in favor of, of the money following uh, the student to a certain extent, uh, allowing, allowing parents to have a little bit more options in their schools. And it's very hard in a district like ours. If you're on the Wasatch Front, you can, you can pick a private school anywhere. Down here, we... we trust our teachers, we know our teachers, we're more inclined to be in the public school system. The legislature has worked very hard. Uh, we've seen you know, a record increases in, in pay. A lot of it ends up getting absorbed up in uh, administration and not making it to the classroom, not making it to the, uh, to the teachers. And, and, and I think there's some things that we can do at the legislature to address that, and, and we have been doing that. Okay. 30 seconds, Davina. Well. Again, we are in rural Utah. Um, after programs are majority in, in urban areas. And so I think we need to continue to focus on, again, in teacher wage increases, funding for our schools, better education programs, um, and just focus on those. Okay. Thank you. Um, Phil, 30 seconds. Sure. Um, I've got two of my boys in the back here. Um, one just they just moved back to Blanding. One's an orthopedic surgeon. The other's a doctor. Growing up, they grew up in San Juan County, where they're known as not having very good school system, not very good education. They took that responsibility on themselves. It says they're, if they're going to learn something in this math class, they're going to have to take the book home and, and study it. And, and I'm really, I'm really, I think we need to send the message to our kids that you can succeed because you're intelligent, you're able and send that message to the, to the kids and let that affect the school system on the way up. Okay, thank you. I have a one-minute follow-up for both candidates. Um, this one goes to Phil first. Um, at the end of the last legislative session and also in previous sessions, um, there is an idea floated to remove the educational earmark from Utah's Constitution. Uh, what is your position on that? I voted against it. I thought it was a bad move. Um, the legislature felt differently. They passed it, and with the support of the, of the state school board. The next year, they came back to say, well, we want to make sure that we get this and this and this. I said, but you, but you gave up your earmark in exchange for a guarantee, and I thought that was a, a short-sighted move on their part. Now, the, the legislature's been very true to their word on it. Uh, the problem with getting rid of the earmark is you'll get a new legislature. Things change. 
um, I would have preferred to have seen the income tax um, stay committed to education myself. Davina, same question, one minute follow-up. Um, you know, I think, again, with new changes, you know, there, there could be a lot of um, opportunities, especially for rural Utah, in improving, improvements. Um, me, being an indigenous person, you know, I hear a lot of what issues that are happening in our rural, in our rural Utah for students of color. We need to make sure and ensure that there is support for our BIPOC students as well. Thank you both. Uh, we're going to move on to this next question about local control. Um, it's not, oh, this goes to Davina first. Um, it's not unusual for Grand County and Moab City to run into issues with state lawmakers over um, policy making related to land use management, planning and zoning, and business regulations. If elected, how would you navigate this tug of war between state and local control at the legislature? Um, what commitment are you willing to make to um, House District 69 voters when it comes to the desire for local control? Well, the county has a legal responsibility to protect um, health, the health and safety and welfare um, of its community. Um, I'm hearing a lot about noise, noise control. You know, noise pollution is noise pollution. Um, I definitely, where I live in, back home in Blanding, I live on the outskirts, and there are some nights where I'm awakened by it, or, you know, we have also uh, another constituent had shared um, he's a father and, and, a, and a, of a baby, a newborn baby, and, um, you know, he's had to express the frustration of being, having to be um, in part of that noise pollution. I mean, it does affect um, but first, I'd like to see what we could do to make sure and ensure that local um, communities or local government has that control for the, again, for the safety and welfare of our communities. Another is um, state is not allowing rural Utahns to make decisions, rather seeing us as cash cows. So again, um, what can we do to make sure that we at a local, um, local government have the ability to make our own decisions. Got it. Thank you so much. Um, Phil, same question. Well, um, if, if we're waiting for someone from the state or from the federal government to solve our problems, we're going to be waiting in vain. Uh, the, the, the heroes of, uh, in, in this country are the people sitting in this room, the people that say, I'm going to vote not just with a slip of paper, but with my, with my whole self. I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk to my neighbors. I'm going to uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seize control of the local government, and I'm going to push that all the way up. We saw that with the, during the Bears Ears uh, situation. You know, a small group of people were passionate about it. We were able to get the ear of the commissioners and the ear of the governor and the ear of the president, and, um, and we saw some things happen. Uh, the same thing happened, I guess, on the reverse side, you know, but that, that was a very much a grassroots, locally driven process. So whether you like the outcome or don't like the outcome, the process is more important than the product, and it's got to be done by local people. Um, Alexander Hamilton said that state legislatures um, must be not only vigilant, but jealous and suspicious guardians of the rights of the people against federal encroachment. That's the job of every level of government, is to be jealous and suspicious guardians of the rights of the people. If the state is overstepping, uh, and, and as we've seen them do with civil rights violations, it's 
proper for the federal government to step in and say, we're not going to allow you to, to usurp the, the rights of these individuals. If the counties are overstepping, it's the right of the state legislature to step in and say, you don't have the right to do that. This noise ordinance has been a really interesting one because we have state roads and state legal vehicles. And the law says you can't target a specific type of vehicle. And you, if they want to change the law, then let's change the law. But until then, you can't say, oh, well, even though it's street legal, we, we're okay with Harley-Davidson's. We're not okay with, with side-by-sides. If we want to address that, we've got to do it through the proper process by changing the, the language that's in the law that governs those things. Okay. Thank you so much. Davina, 30 seconds. As the state representative, I want to make sure that when we come down and sit down and have a discussion, such as noise ordinances or what we can do best for our community, I want to make sure and ensure that I come as a form of how do we work this together. I don't like seeing divisions in our district. I've seen it far too long. And so I, for one, would love to see how we can come together because we First and foremost, you know, we have families here. We want to make sure and we continue to have our families here. But let's, you know, ensuring that we work together. Okay. Phil, 30 seconds. You know, I loved sitting in on these debates before uh, with Emily and Bill and Steve and Mike and Lori and Mary, people that are vying for this county commission position. County commissioners are really, really important. Uh, nothing, take nothing away from cities, but county commissions oversee this large block of land and, um, and I think they should be empowered. I think they should have the resources. I think they should have access to their state legislature. They should be the people that are making these really important local decisions. Okay. Thank you both so much. I have a one-minute follow-up for timekeepers. Um, this goes to Phil first. Um, if elected, how would you help our district, in particular um, Grand and San Juan counties, with any lobbying at the state level during the legislative session? How would I help them with yeah. lobbying? Yeah. Well, I guess I would say this, there's no stronger lobbyist than a citizen, somebody who comes with an issue, and that, that speaks louder to the legislature than, than almost any lobbyist, any paid lobbyist. So a commissioner that shows up is going to get um, a lot of face time, but an individual, just a, a mom who says, hey, I don't like what I'm seeing here, and this is what, this is what happened when my child came home from school, and this was the material that they brought home. That speaks very loudly. And so uh, I, think, I think one thing that I would do, and I think I'm very good at listening. Uh, if people call me, I answer my phone. I talk to people. I think you've got to reach out. You've got to recognize that these, the, the, I call it the House, of, you know, the House of Representative. It's your house. It's not the house that belongs to the federal government or the state government. It's your house. And if we don't, if we don't step in and communicate with the legislature as individuals, I think, I think you have a much stronger voice than any lobbyist. Thank you. Same question, Davina. How, how would you help um, Grand and San Juan counties with any lobbying at the state level? You know, I've had a great opportunity of coming into homes of those that have never really met me. And one thing that we come, even though if, you know, I'm a different party and they're a different party, but we come together with a better understanding. But most, first and foremost, it's that the, the understanding that, you know, when, when I am elected, I, my door is always open. Even my home is always open. That was something I was taught growing up is, you know, you welcome anyone, you work with anyone, you find solutions. Um, and I'm working for you. That's the first thing is I'm working for all of you. Okay, great. Thank you so much. We are moving right along. We have 
time for two more questions, if you can believe it, and then it'll all be over. So thank you all for doing so well with me. This next question is about our social fabric. Uh, Davina, this one goes to you first. If elected, how would you help strengthen Grand County and House District 69's response to issues that threaten our community fabric, um, including mental health, substance abuse, interpersonal violence, and even intergenerational poverty? Uh, when my kids were, I was actually in school at the University of Utah, I had the opportunity to work for the only uh, homeless healthcare clinic in Salt Lake City, which was Forest Street Clinic. I be, became um, an eligibility specialist, and every day I would sit down with a homeless patient with PTSD, schizophrenia, all forms of different levels of mental health, and um, helping this patient uh, with a paper application, whether it was SSDI, disability Medicaid, food stamp, um, and it was something that I will never, ever forget because of how much I would see in those eyes of a patient that felt that they were thought in society as less than, that no one would give a, a hoot about. And so I did everything in my power to make sure that they felt they, were, they are a part of, of us. And I fought to help with the Medicaid expansion. Um, from there, I had the opportunity of working with restoring ancestral winds and focusing our missing, murdered Indigenous women and children. And from there, I had the opportunity to collaborate with Utah Domestic Violence Coalition. And all of that I bring with my experience because I know and understand and sat there all the time listening to our patients or our, our women um, every situation and I know here in Utah down in, in our area it's significant it's um, and we need and we can create changes I had the opportunity of, of touring a mental health facility here which is amazing that could be a model across our district but mental health is a big issue here and I would like to see what we can do to create some changes okay great Phil same question <clears throat> When I first moved to Blanding, I, I went to work with my dad, who was also a CPA, and he, he passed away shortly after I, I got there, unexpectedly, very young. And I, and I was nervous to run the firm. I took it over, I was, but I was nervous. And one day I looked around and I thought, uh, there's obviously some needs. I'm not, there's no shortage of people who need some good professional service, and I felt like I had obviously a skill to do that. So forgetting about the paycheck, forgetting about how to do that, um, I started looking around. And the first thing that I came to was health care. And I met, a, I met a woman by the name of Nettie Prack down in Montezuma Creek who was, had an idea to create this diabetes control program for the Native Americans. We jumped in. We learned about the 638 contracts. That diabetes control program turned into Utah Navajo Health Systems, which I was very involved in. Spent many sleepless nights putting together their systems and going to work with, with, uh, with them. I went down to Ganado as the CFO, uh, Sage Memorial Hospital on the reservation, to learn about capitated contracts and those types of things. When I got on the commission, I recognized that the, uh, uh, that the, the health department was shrinking in San Juan County. We were down to three employees, and two of those were part-time. I said, you know, if we're going to be part of southeastern Utah health, and they're not going to send services to the south end of the county, 
to the to the Navajo population, we're missing an opportunity not only f to serve them, but to, to but to provide jobs. And now we've got so we we broke that off and we created the San Juan uh, Public Health Department, which which now is up to about 30 employees and they're doing amazing work all over the county. Those things I think are important. We can do stuff if we're willing to get involved. Um, uh, talked about uh, well, Westwater. When, I, when I, I grew up next to the community of Westwater, and I, as soon as I got on the commission, I said, you know, this isn't a city problem, this is a county problem, let's fix it. Worked on it in the state legislature, I've been able to work on it more, we were able to get the power turned on at Westwater. Those types of things are not, they're a small step for a community, but they're a huge step for the state of Utah. Thank you, um, Davina, 30 seconds. Um, our district is quite vast, and I mean, there. This is a really uh, big topic. I mean, there's so much that could, uh, that umbrellas on this. I mean, and we also need to think about our elderly, our veterans. Um, I, for one, you know, growing up, our elders are, are everything. And uh, doors that I've knocked on, some have expressed the, the, they're on fixed income. They need help with extra forms of insurance. Um, and so I think this is something that we need to continue to look and support. Thank you. Phil, 30 seconds. Um, it's a blessing to grow up in an area like this. You know, I remember as a kid looking at the globe and, and thinking, how did I get so lucky to be born out here in such a beautiful spot? And I'm not oblivious to those people that inhabited it before me, and I'm always grateful uh, that my ancestors were welcomed. And I think that's, I think to have an appreciation for each other, to have an appreciation, I said at the county commission meeting, if it's sacred to one person, it's sacred to all of us, and we have to have that, we have to have that attitude. Whether we agree entirely or not, we have to care about each other. Thank you both. Um, we have time for another question. Um, if elected, this one goes to Phil first. If elected, where will you pl place your time, energy, and focus during uh, this upcoming legislative session? Are there any bills or initiatives you would like to introduce or support? I do have some bills that I'm working on that I think are, are interesting. Um, I've got a bill on CITLA, saying that CITLA can't come in and leave a county worse off than they found it. Um, Sitla land is, a, is an asset, whether you like it dispersed or concentrated or, or in the case of Grand County, maybe they want Sitla out of there. But to go into a county like they have San Juan County after the Bears years and say we're going to take 150,000 acres and move it off to other places. And I say, well, why, why did you block up all this land in Big Water down by uh, on the border by, by Lake Pell? Oh, because it came out of the staircase. Well, why'd you block up all this land in Garfield County? Oh, it came out of the staircase. So why now are you taking all of the land from San Juan County and moving it to places that are not in San Juan County? I've, and I've got a bill that says if a county already has a disproportionate percentage of federal land ownership, CITLA can't come in and leave them in a worse off position, kind of a no, no takings. I've got an HOA uh, bill that would provide an ombudsman um, 600,000 people in Utah live in HOAs, and if you've seen some of those situations, it's, it's the Wild West. They, they, I, I've got a friend who was fined $50, and within a year, it's up to $50,000, and he's about to lose his house over a minor infraction. Those things ought not to be, and I've got an HOA bill, and it's, it's got a lot of people really stirred up, which I like. Um, I've got a, 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 a water contracting bill, which, which also, when you, when you get into water contracting, this came... This was born out of Westwater, looking at the contracts there, and you find that all roads lead back to Salt Lake because they own so much water, and they use it to, for land management purposes. 
Um, I've got an election reform bill that I've talked about that a little bit. Um, I've got a, a bill uh, that I opened up that says the clergy, if they're aware of, of child sexual abuse, they have to report it. They don't have an exception. Uh, I think it creates ambigu ambigu ambiguity and problems. Uh, I think this solves it. I've worked with the churches, and they have, I have, amazingly, I have really strong support on that. So those things are big. Thank you so much. Davina, same question. Um, I would like to look and focus on our rural um, schools and also raise our, uh, which would look like raising teacher wages, funding our school programs, um, expanding Medicaid. Um, that would be something I would also like to see in our rural Utahns is expansion of Medicaid. Affordable housing for uh, local uh, workforce and seniors. Um, those would be some bills that I'd like to, to focus on. Okay. Thank you. Um, Phil, do you want 30 more seconds? Um, no. Okay. All right. Well, thank you both candidates um, for participating in tonight's uh, debate. It's been very um, informative for all of us here. We're now going to move on to closing statements. We'll take one minute each for closing statements. This is an opportunity to clarify or expand upon a point made earlier in the evening. You could also use this time to summarize your campaign and why voters should elect you to serve as the House District 69 representative. Davina, you are first. You'll have one minute. I'm running to bring our district together. I want to talk to voters about their kids and their towns, what their local government is doing well and which gaps still need to be filled. Because most of us, the things keeping us up at night are close to home, how we'll pay rent and if irrigation water will flow all season, where our kids are going to school next year and whether or not our businesses will sustain us. The job of a lawmaker is to stay focused on our constituents, our district, and the actions we can take. It will be my job to listen and to act in our district's best interests, not to listen to the loudest voices, and not just to listen to the net loudest voices. We've got the power to tell the folks at the Utah State House what really matters. Our neighbors in rural Utah are kind and hardworking. Our home is worth fighting for. I'm here because we deserve a representative who values respect, accountability, and unity. Someone who will truly listen. I'm running for Utah State House of Representative to carry our voices to the Capitol. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much. Um, Phil, closing statement. Thank you, and, and I, I want to thank Davina again for running. Um, you know, if you don't have somebody that's running against you, people don't really care what you have to say, so this gives us an opportunity to actually come and have these discussions, so thank you, Davina, and I appreciate where you come from and, and your sincerity on that. Schemers, I've always said, schemers are always 10 steps ahead of people of goodwill, and I think in government, we sometimes give people the benefit of the doubt that don't deserve it. Um, trust is in the short supply, but also is trusting the wrong people. Um, there's this, uh, this has been alluded to a couple of times. I've got just a handful of these, these emails of what I would call schemers who are trying to commandeer our local government. We can't have that happen. We've got to stay in control of it. We've got to keep it from the ground up, from the grassroots, not from the special interests in. And, and Grand County's dealing with this. San Juan County's dealing with it. It's very destructive. People get hurt as a result of it because you've got decisions that are being made not with good policy in mind but with nothing but pure politics and I hope we can get away from that. 
Okay. Thank you both candidates, uh, Phil Lyman and Davina Smith, for participating in this debate. Um, it is not easy to take part in public discourse, but it is important, and we thank you. Uh, we need a round of applause for these candidates. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so thank you so much. If everyone in this room could just bear with me for one more minute, I just have a few things before we close out tonight. Um, a recording of this event will be available later this week at our website, kzmu.org. You can also check the Southeast Utah League of Women Voters website for a video. Again, election day is Tuesday, November 8th. Ballots will be going out to registered Grand County voters this week. You can register to vote at vote.utah.gov or in person at the Grand County Clerk's Office. Okay, here's our thank yous. Thank you to the candidates. For Grand County Commission and State House District 69 for participating. Thank you to KZMU and the Southeast Utah League of Women Voters for making this happen. Thank you to the Moab Arts and Recreation Center for hosting us. Thank you to the community members and organizations who submitted questions tonight. And thank you to those of you listening at home for participating in our local election process. KZMU aims to provide our community with opportunities to exercise their First Amendment rights, regardless of beliefs or circumstances, and we hope we have achieved that this evening. All right, uh, listeners, we will now pass it back to the studio on Rocky Road and get back to some music. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.